actually, we've got someone on the show today that does that a whole lot better than you will ever do it. <laughs> Mr. Pop and Lock himself. Oh, stop no it. way. Father Sam yeah. French. Oh, show come us. on. Maybe for video. Uh, show us, show us, show us. Oh, come on. You, you got to hit me in, mate. Oh, yeah, no. you, you gotta, I'm just gonna give him. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> oh here we go. Here we go. Oh it's coming back. Oh no. Here we go. Oh it's coming. Oh, oh. Bring him around. Up, oh, down, through. Nah, that's next level. Like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> that was your. <laughs> what is going on? That was your like AI. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your AI TikTok was awesome. Oh yeah, yeah. The, the, um, the AI geez. priest. Um, uh, oh, priest GPT. Yes. Priest GPT. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's a good thing to be here. The Father, the Son, and the Holy. No, sorry, not let's not go there. Yeah. The Holy Spirit <laughs> is here, though. The Holy Spirit is absolutely. Here. Yeah. The wizard <laughs> behind the camera. Sarah not with us again because she's at work. Hey, Sarah. Hey. Oh gosh, not again. Um, <laughs> we won't do that again. Internet world, say hello to Father Sam French. How are you? Oh, I'm fantastic. Pleasure and privilege to be here <laughs> as always. Now. Father Sam and I go back a long way. We entered the seminary in the same year together, 2016. That's right. On the Feast of St. Thomas Aquinas. That's right, on the Feast of St. Thomas. And we had an absolutely amazing time in seminary together. You were out of seminary a bit sooner than I was. Yes. And we're going to get into your story, your vocation, and everything a bit later on. But we can't start the show without without an ahoy to the spiritual son. Ahoy. Ahoy, g'day. He's on board. Konnichiwa. <laughs> Last season he yeah. ripped me for the ahoys, but now he's on. He's on. I have to go with it. It's such a random thing. <laughs> well, he converted you, mate. You've yeah. been brought into the fold. I was sure that that stopped with the pirates, but clearly, <laughs> but clearly, Father Ben has brought it back. But we can't begin the episode, truly begin the episode, without mentioning our lovely sponsor, MJ Podiatry. MJ Podiatry, to remind everyone at home, is a mobile home visit network servicing all throughout Sydney. They're an all-round podiatry service uh, going through general treatments, anything for sport, NDIS, home care packaging is offered as well. Uh, For all your pains, injuries, custom-made orthotics, advice on uh, footwear, anything you need. Again, anything got to do with feet. (laughs) Maroon and the team have your back. Or they have your feet actually at MJ <laughs> at MJ Podiatry. So um, visit their website at www.mjpodiatry.com.au. The contact details are on the website, uh, but you can call Maroon and the team at 0412-389-278 or email info at mjpodiatry.com.au. And Maroon's been very, very generous for anyone that phones in for a consult or books online or gets him through email whatever it might be however you contact maroon if you drop the code atg10 you get 10 percent off atg10 10 percent off so we'll put that in the notes there but that's uh we have a we have a physician of souls here and we've got a physician of a different kind of soul, the soul of your foot, <laughs> MJ Podiatry. So get on board and support um, a great businessman. Amen. But we want to talk a little bit to Father Sam because you've you've come into some prominence online over the last you know year or so. But um, before that, you know, you're ordained a priest and you're just doing ministry and you're very passionate about all sorts of things. We want to get to know you a little bit, the man behind the um, the social media infamy. Yep. <clears throat> but just tell us where it all began for you. 
In terms of the vocation story or social media? Yeah, yeah. vocation. Let's start there. Vocation. And work our way okay, let's go back to the beginning. It was a stormy night, <laughs> 1992. <laughs> <laughs> we won't go that, that, that far back. But look, uh, to be honest, my vocation, my call came pretty early uh, in, in my life, uh, comparatively speaking, I suppose. It was when I was 19 years old. I had just finished high school. And I suppose at that stage, I was very culturally Catholic. Like I, you know, I was involved in the, in the parish, but the, the notion of, of a calling to priesthood had never really crossed my mind at all, like at all. Um, you know, as far as I was concerned, the priest was just the, the old dude at church on, on the weekend. And the idea of actually following down that path wasn't something that was really um, a consideration at all. I was involved uh, in youth groups and things like that. I would go to kind of Christian camps run by the, the youth mission team. And, uh, and like that was always a, a big highlight for me. And I enjoyed my faith in that sense. But I never was really uh, deep into uh, what it actually meant to, to live as a Christian in the world. And so I suppose for me as an 18-year-old finishing high school, I just wanted what everyone else wanted. Uh, I'm from a very big family. I've got five brothers and one sister and, uh, you know, uh, beautiful parents. And we've all been raised uh, in the Catholic faith. So going to going to mass on the weekends, praying the rosary as a family every night. But even being in the context of that, uh, that family, that was really all I knew. Family life, all I wanted was to, to have a wife, to have children, uh, to have intimacy, to have uh, success in my work. These were all things that I wanted. And then one day when I was 19, uh, I was studying psychology. It was my first first year out of, uh, out of high school and I just started psychology and I'm sitting on the train. And for whatever reason, I, I felt compelled to pray. And I was just praying uh, in the usual manner as I did as a 19 year old, just asking God for a laundry list of things, <laughs> you know, uh, please make me successful and all the, all the rest of it. And, uh, and then I just remember thinking to myself, is this, is this what I'm doing? Is this psychology degree that I'm doing? Is this really, like, I, I love it. I enjoy it. I'm very interested in it. But is this my life? Is this what God wants for me? And for the first time, I started just opening myself up to this idea that, well, what does God want me to do? Now, that wasn't something that I'd really thought about much. And I just remember thinking to myself, okay, well, I'm just going to spend the rest of this train trip uh, asking this question. And that was very unusual for me. I was someone who was always plugged in, always had the headphones in. So out came the, the music and I just decided I would sit there and just be with the Lord. Opened my heart and I just thought, okay, God, what is it that you, you want me to do with my life? And then almost immediately, uh, I had this image, a very vivid image, kind of think of like a dark room with like one single spotlight and a priest standing at the altar. It was this, unlike anything I'd had before, this vivid image came to mind immediately i panicked and i rejected it i was like absolutely no way like that is ridiculous whatever you, know. you want but not that exactly exactly it's like you know this this prayer thing like you know this whole idea of discerning vocation terrible idea i should just put the headphones back in but no i kept going and i was like no obviously i don't want that i you know i want my family i want uh, i want success i want all of these things and uh but the, this image wouldn't go away and i thought to myself okay well I'm studying psychology. I need to, uh, I need to be intellectually honest with myself. You know, I've got to explore where is this coming from, and I go back and, and I just thought, okay, what if God was calling me to priesthood? 
And just in that moment, uh, I I open my heart just that that tiny bit, and I describe it as like a flood of the Holy Spirit. Just like it was kind of like opening the door to see who was there, and just getting like a tidal wave of the Holy Spirit coming through. And what that felt like was this absolute confirmation that God was calling me to be a priest. And so all of my objections started coming to mind. So no, no I, I want marriage. You know, I I had kind of like a a high school girlfriend at the time. And I was like, no, I, I want to pursue that. And, you know, I want to be successful in my career. But the way I describe my objections is like trying to put out a bushfire with a water pistol. <laughs> it was just like nothing. I was like, you know, shooting at this, this flame. Um, and I just knew that in this moment, God was, was calling me to this. And people say, uh, and I often try and give people proof that this actually happened because, you know, it sounds like a bit of a made up story. But the historical proof that people could find that this was legit was I went into the student office that day. I walked off the train into Macquarie University, into the student office and unenrolled that day. Wow. I dropped out of university. That's how I had no idea what the process of vocational <laughs> discernment involved. I walked in and I dropped out and I was like, I'm absolutely called to be a priest. Why am I wasting my time here anymore? I called up my mum and I was like, mum, God's calling me to be a priest. I booked in to see the vocations director like the next day. And, uh, and so that was kind of the first wave for me, this, this big moment of calling. Now, that for me was very short-lived. It was this moment of intense passion, this moment of intense excitement, uh, but it wasn't tested. It was a vocation that hadn't been tested because what I found out very quickly was the moment I went back into the real world, so to say, when I came off the mountain after the transfiguration and came back into the uh, just daily life, I started going as an 18, 19 year old, I started going to all of the parties that I was being invited to. And all my high school friends get word of this. And they're like, are you insane? Like you're, you know, like how stupid are you? Like, this is ridiculous. Are you one of these Jesus freaks? And all of this, um, mm. all of this kind of negative feedback and as a 19 year old, I didn't really know myself all that much. And so pretty, pretty soon I, I just caved to the pressure and I was like, there's no way, there's no way I'm called to this anymore. Already, I can see how this type of personal experience is helping you as a vocations director. Because mm. I'm sure you'd have a lot of, yeah. you know, young men in a similar kind of way in their discernment. It's a beautiful thing that they've opened their hearts mm. to following the will of God but it hasn't been tested it hasn't been Absolutely. properly thought out it's the starting point mm. but I just want to go back very briefly you said something and we kind of skimmed over it like it was not a big deal but you grew up in a beautiful family yeah <laughs> faith-filled family and you prayed the rosary as a family together every day yes now we have a lot of young families that actually watch this podcast. Yeah. People actually do watch this podcast and <laughs> yeah. listen to it. Believe it or not. Yeah. But we get a lot of people coming up to us saying how much they love it. It's something they've engaged with with their family. Yep. It's viewing that they love watching as a family. So we're very honored and flattered by that. But more importantly than this podcast should be, okay, as a family, you should pray together. Yeah, absolutely. And so... I just want you to just very briefly touch on those daily rosary experiences with your family because I'm sure as a young kid, there were moments you were just not bothered to be praying oh, yeah. rosary. Yeah. It would have been an absolute mess for mum and dad to yep. be getting all the kids together. Oh, we're going to start, we're going to start, yep. we have to do yep. this. 
But the benefit of praying as a family together, if we just press pause on this vocation story yeah, for, for a sure. second, can you speak to that? Yeah, look, um, I, I mean, it actually kind of relates. People ask, especially within the context of, of priesthood, how do I raise uh, happy and holy children? The answer is to pray. The answer is to pray together as a family. Now, within the Catholic context, the rosary is one of the most powerful prayers. And you are absolutely right. Let's not romanticize what family prayer is like. <laughs> we have these images of like the, you know, the family gathering around a little fireplace and all of the little pious children looking up to heaven, <laughs> having visions while praying the rosary. But that is simply not the reality of day-to-day -day life. What is, what is real, I think, is the parents' discipline in, in making this a part of the rule of life of the family, you know, and for us, it was, we would, especially at dinner time, never eat alone. It was always the family comes together to eat together so we can discuss the day as, as angry or as upset or as whatever we might've been feeling, always come together as a family. And then there was the chores after that, you know, um, washing up, doing, doing your, your due diligence and making sure that you were fulfilling your responsibilities in the family but that was very soon followed by the rosary. We come together, it doesn't matter what you're doing, you come together and you pray the rosary. And you're absolutely right, it was total chaos sometimes. I remember, certainly as a teenager, there was times where I was really against it, like I was having my own little um, internal rebellion and I would throw up every excuse under the sun you know, it's uh, like, this isn't my spirituality or can't I, just, can't I just go and pray in my room? Jesus says, pray in your room, close the door and pray in your room. Why are you making me do this? But it was the, it was the faith of my mum and dad seeing past that and knowing that uh, what might have been fleeting for us in those moments wasn't the most important thing. The most important thing was coming together as a family. And, what, and the reason that was powerful was it modelled for all of us the example of our mum and dad their vocation to marriage, uh, all vocations are a call to holiness and they were modeling that in their own vocation, the example they wanted to give to their children. So I cannot overstate the importance of praying together as a family. Mm. It is just, it is an absolute bedrock and pillar of my own faith journey. And I would, uh, and I think you could ask any one of my, my siblings, uh, my five brothers and sister, and they would say the same. And thanks be to God, every one of us is still practicing the faith and we, um, we range from age 35 all the way down to 18. And, uh, and all of us uh, are still involved in, in the life of the church. And I, I, I credit that to, uh, to the protection of our Blessed Mother, but also to uh, coming together as a family and praying together. And just whilst we're on this topic very briefly, what tips would you give to a young family? Mm. Um, how early do you start this? Or what are some of the things you might do if you've got a two or a three-year-old that just won't sit still, yeah. what are some of the really simple things you can do as a family to bring that, um, that relationship um, in a very practical way into the home? Yeah. Look, I think one of the, uh, perhaps one of the biggest mistakes is, uh, is trying to, is going for an unachievable goal in the sense that if you're praying the rosary, it's important that the children are witnessing that. But at the age of three or four, their, their capacity to engage with that in a, in a formulaic way and pray along is going to be very limited just by, by virtue of their, their state of development. Um, but I think it's really important to have them present, to have them, the children present, even if that means having a, you know, a, a saint story or a book or something and have someone there with them, you know, leading them through and, you know, just showing them pictures. It's just important for them to be present 
to see the adults in the room uh, or the teenagers in the room praying together. Uh, and for, for them at their age, they, they have that limited capacity to, to engage, but just simply by being there, they're, you know, they're participating in the grace of that prayer. And I think they're having it modeled to them in a way that the moment that they are of age, they're able to participate more fruitfully. And it's not something new to them or annoying to them. It's just part of the, it's the way that things are done. Mm-hmm. I have a couple of questions, sure. if that's okay. Uh, just first though, I, I, you mentioned, uh, you both mentioned fathers that um, it's like, it, it, you know, kids will make their excuses. They, they don't yeah. always want to do it, but it's important to keep going. And I can't help but think that it's not just the spiritual benefit that they get from that, but just the just a necessary life skill. Yeah. <laughs> in moments you don't feel like doing things, uh, you still need to persevere in those Absolutely. moments and, and do what needs to be done. So, um, yeah, that's just like, it, it's a little more than just the, the spiritual uh, benefit. Obviously, the spiritual benefit is Absolutely. necessary though. <laughs> I mean, like you, you couldn't be more right because I mean, I mean that's, the, that's the spiritual life in a nutshell. Like because you're not your your relationship with God, your your daily prayer life isn't going to be a breeze all the time. It's not like a it's not like a cartoon world where everything is just uh, is easygoing and every prayer that you say is filled with fruitfulness and good feelings. It's often about just raw discipline and about saying, No, I've made this commitment to the Lord and I'm going to stick to it. And of course that that relates into other realms of life such as family life and work and like work ethic and everything like that but you know the the essence of love in the words of of aquinas is to will the good of the other it's to love is an act of the will it's not a feeling and i think when we uh, when we grow in discipline and our daily prayer life in that way where we're growing in in all areas of life and, and growing in the strength that we're going to need because ultimately it's going to be in the hard times that that discipline is what's going to to draw us through. And I know in my own seminary journey, and I'm not sure if this was the same for Father Ben, but I had I had quite a number of years of dryness, not knowing if God was still calling me to the priesthood. And the only thing that kept me going was the rule of life, was the discipline of the seminary, where I would keep coming back to the Lord in daily prayer uh, mm. and just trusting that he would lead me, even though I wasn't feeling it. And then, um, thanks be to God, I did have a moment later on in seminary where I was affirmed in that vocation. So discipline, yeah, you, I cannot understate the, the importance of just having that rule of life in place and not negotiating with it, just uh, having it as, as part of the culture. Beautiful. And uh, I mean, I, I suppose these questions are for both, uh, both priests, uh, as will many of the questions I'll probably have throughout, <laughs> throughout this episode. Um, now you hear like, you know, family that prays together stays together, mm. you know, that saying, or, or even a couple that prays together stays together. Um, what is it that's so bonding about prayer? You're our guest. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Look, um, to be honest, it's when, okay, what, what draws you together in prayer? It's because the focus is not on any one individual and the focus is not particularly on, uh, on each other. The focus is that everyone comes together and meets in Christ, um, and and I'm not sure if it makes sense to anyone else, but one of the ways that I kind of envisage the church at large, and which the family is like a cell of the church, uh, and any kind of relationship is a cell of the church in in some sense. I kind of have an image of the globe, uh, and like everyone is standing around the the outside of the globe, and so they're quite far apart, and yet the but Christ is the core in the center of the of the globe, and every time someone's praying. 
Like there's a line going straight into the core and everyone's meeting there. Everyone meets in Christ Jesus. And so the more that you're praying, it's not as if you're all doing your own thing. You're getting to know the same person. You're having a common relationship with Jesus. Yes. And the more that you, uh, that you grow in your relationship with Jesus, the more you become like him. And the more you become like him, the more you become like other people who are praying to the Lord. And so I think that's the way it's, you're not kind of growing together as individuals. You're all becoming more like Christ. And the more that we become like Christ, the closer we, we come together. So I love that I image. I would say that that's probably perfectly manifest when we attend mass. Mm, absolutely. Because there's absolutely. uniformity in movement and response. And what brings us together is the body of Christ. Um, so yeah, there is a real unification when we come together in prayer because it's Christ who joins us. Mm. Um, whenever I'm doing my marriage preparations, it's not about the strength of the couple per se because for as many strengths as they may have, there are just as many or if not more weaknesses. And I'm like, if you two are going to rely solely on your strengths, this marriage will not last. Mm. And so Christ needs to be at the center of this relationship and it's the venerable Fulton Sheen that's got that beautiful book, Three to Get Married. Yeah. Yep. So it's the the man, the woman uh, with God in the center. So um, that's it's God who unites us. And that's Absolutely. why it's so powerful to pray um, in your respective vocation because it's God who will ultimately show you the way. Absolutely. Amen. Uh, just one, one more question, at least on this uh praying as a, as a family topic yeah. um, is, uh, so, so I assume, you know, as your family would have grown older and um, more responsibilities come and uh, different commitments and things like that, that you've, I mean, I, I would assume, I, I don't know, that um, you uh, praying every night together would have become a little bit more unrealistic mm. at a certain point. Yeah. At what point should firstly parents uh, trust that the years that the family's been praying together has prepared you well okay. to continue yeah, in prayer. That is that a really good question. question. So look, um, basically the, the way in which it worked in our, in our family is there is a certain age that you get to where children are no longer children, but adults and are making their own decisions. So uh, um, there's, there were times in my life where I was just flat disobedient to my parents um, where like they would say we're praying the family rosary and I would and I had chosen no I'm not doing that um, and there's not much that they could do however it was very very well instilled within us that so long as you're living under our roof this is what we do yeah. so I, I just like and that was just out of my own teenage rebellion at times and however the the funny thing about that is I always knew I was doing something wrong like there was never a time where I felt justified, like truly in my conscience, that me making this decision is the right thing to do. I always knew because of that, of the family culture, that I was being willful and I was choosing to do my own thing rather than what God was calling me to do, which was to honor my parents by respecting the, the rule of life, which was established in our family. And look, the thing is, uh, once we move out of, our, out of home, like we've, we've got our own kind of disciplines and everything like that. <clears throat> but... The funny thing about um, my family is if we go over for dinner, if we're there, it's, it's on. Like the rosary's there, it's, it doesn't change. And I think because it became so part and parcel of who we are as a family, my mum in particular, who's kind of the, the bulwark of, of 
um, supernatural faith in our family, she's become very evangelical in her approach to the rosary. It doesn't matter who's the guest. It doesn't matter if they're Catholic or they're an atheist or they're of some other religion. If they're over at our house, they get invited to sit and pray the rosary. So we'll be in the middle of a party. In fact, I'm pretty sure it was at my 21st um, and other parties that we've had at our house where, you know, the, the night draws on and people have started going. And then mum's like, all right, I think it's time for the rosary. <laughs> and she'll come out and then everyone gathers in. And there's, there's photos of uh, like our house where there'll be 30 people in our living room, um, you know, most of which will have rosaries <laughs> in their hand, some of whom haven't prayed it since they were children, some of them who don't know what's going on and the person next to them showing them how to pray the rosary. Yeah. Uh, it, it, become, it became something where it's so part and parcel of the identity of the family that it doesn't matter who comes over, it's right there. Yes, and I think awesome. that takes years and years of, uh, of conf- I mean, my parents have seen the fruits of that already. Yeah. So they're not gonna back down mm. from, uh, from that prayer. I remember yeah. when you were ordained um, and we had a little gathering at your place yeah. uh, after your ordination, we were just sitting down, we had a beautiful meal, mm. conversations flowing, everyone's having a great time, we've had a few drinks. And then Mrs. French says, we're going to pray a rosary now. <laughs> and so everyone at this gathering walked into the living room yep. and we all prayed a rosary together. There we go. Awesome. Evidence. I'm not just making that things up. Awesome. Yeah. So I was yeah. there. I, I witnessed it. It was beautiful. Wow. I want to quickly bring in the wizard. Are you getting some tips? How's a, how's the prayer life at home with a, such a busy schedule at home with the, with the wife and the kids? Oh, well, prayer time, bedtime. Prayer time, bedtime. Yeah. I wouldn't say we would do it as a family all together, but it's either myself or my wife sitting with the kids or sitting at the foot of one of their beds. They've got bunk beds, so sitting at the foot of the bottom one. I'm not that <laughs> nimble. <laughs> um, and we would just say the Our Father and Hail Mary. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. That's been a yeah. mainstay and, non- and non-negotiable for yeah. and well, since they were old enough to understand. Yeah. Fantastic. I'm Beautiful. so encouraged to hear these types of things because, that, I mean, we talk about what is going on in the culture and sometimes it can be we can adopt that real defeatist mindset mm. it's like it's too far gone mm. but it's not too far gone in your own homes yeah yep. you have the ability to make your own home a fortress you are a domestic church you can control what your children are watching the amount of time that they are exposed to with their screens you can while they're under your roof i'm sorry you're not their friend mm. You're their parent. And yeah. so what do you do? We have these expectations. We pray together. Mm. There are chores. There are disciplines. And it's the way that we can reclaim the culture it really Absolutely. is. Absolutely. It begins at home. And I think there's uh, just, a, again, just one dose of the reality of it all. There were times in which uh, I think, you know, my mum, she was always the initiator of the rosary at these events and when people are over. And there were times where, uh, you know, she would come and, and, to, um, and to my shame, she would say, oh, you know, should we ask everyone to say the rosary? And I'd say, oh, no, that's so awkward. You know, don't do it. Um, now, that was, that was a while ago. Now, I think, um, I think mum just, she's, she's just gone beyond that now. Yeah. It's just, no, we're doing this. Like, it's, awesome. it's game on. We're praying the rosary. Amazing. Let's do it. And if uh, you can come or you can, you can take it or leave it, but yeah. here we go. So oh, that's, that's the, I mean, it was a beautiful, you know, conversation on just family life and prayer there but we still got to get through your vocation story yeah. okay yeah we're where were flow. we we'll just keep okay flowing. sure sure worry. sure um so you've 
you've made this really rash decision. Yes, you rash really, was the word. You, yeah. haven't, <laughs> you haven't really tested this out. You've you've unenrolled from uni. Yep. Um, and you're going to parties and friends are talking to you. Yep. Let's continue from there. Okay, so basically, all of a sudden, I'm I'm hit with a, a, a dose of reality. I'm hit with the fact that. You know, when you when you make a stand for the Lord, you're going to get hit with opposition. I wasn't ready for that, uh, plain and simple. Like it was, I had a very untested faith, and so the moment I started getting pushback, especially uh, from those who I thought were my friends, I I dropped it like a hot potato. I thought, no, this isn't going to get me anywhere, and so I started doing a lot of post hoc rationalizing. Um, how do I make sense of this big experience that I've had? But the fact that, but the fact is, I don't want to pursue it. Well, I started thinking, oh, well, maybe the priesthood was just a symbol of God wanting me to be more involved in the church. Uh, and so I knew that probably wasn't true, but I thought, you know, that'll do. That'll do yeah, for yeah. now. And so I started getting a lot more involved in my parish and I got more involved in uh, basically running the youth group. And in the diocese from which I'm from, which is the Broken Bay Diocese at the time in 2011, in the, the, the year of World Youth Day Spain, they had what was called the youth ministry scholarship program. So in exchange for me getting involved in the life of the diocese and promoting youth events and being involved in that sense, they would in turn sponsor my trip to World Youth Day in Spain that year. So all of a sudden I started getting uh, involved in the church and, and started growing in that way. And then the year after that, I went to what was called the Summer School of Evangelization, which is run by the Disciples of Jesus charismatic community at the time. and uh, so all of this was going on in my mind. I knew that I was like, there might be a call to priesthood, but I was interpreting it through a very kind of loose lens of involvement in the church at large. And then I met this, uh, this young woman there and then all thoughts of priesthood immediately left my mind. Uh, <laughs> the, the moment I, I laid eyes on her and all of a sudden um, I meet this girl and I basically start, we, we kick off this friendship at this Christian camp and, uh, as it turned out, she was from another state. And so I thought to myself, oh, you know, this is going to be doomed. But over the course of about a year, uh, we became just over the phone, some of the, the closest friends uh, there was and spoke about all manner of things from, from, uh, from faith to, to work and, and everything else. And we kind of grew in, in love and friendship. And then she, uh, so we were very good friends. Then she decided to move to Sydney to pursue her, uh, her university. Uh, and then I did one of the most, or probably the second most courageous thing in my life is I broke out of the friend zone and, uh, and asked her out and she said yes. And so we started uh, dating for a while. And so obviously in my mind, marriage is now on the cards. It's kind of front and center. And that goes on for quite a while where we're, um, we're in this uh, relationship. And all of a sudden I'm, I'm learning all of these life lessons about what love actually means. You know, love is is not just a feeling, it's not just an emotion, it's actually self-sacrifice. Because there were times where I was a pain, there was times where she was a pain, and we were growing to love each other despite uh, all of that. And so I wanted this to work more than anything else in the world. And so when things started getting a bit more serious, um, so I was probably 22 at this stage, but you know, I was, I was kind of this mentality of, you know, let's just give this a go and we'll work out the details later. You know, I wasn't one to to plan ahead and be super responsible in that sense. So I was really keen on the idea of marriage. But the more that every single time I would go to prayer, um, not every single time, it started this way. When I would go to prayer and I'd ask the Lord to bless 
this vocation to marriage, this image of the priesthood started kind of coming up. At first, it was just like a distant memory. Like, oh, you know, remember that whole priesthood thing? Um, and I was like, oh, okay, okay. But that, that I'm not doing enough in the church. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Obviously, I need to run a second youth group, you know. I, I, I need to do more. I need this image, you know, uh, anything to, to kind of avoid it. And all of a sudden, uh, this it goes from like a quiet whisper to a shout. I, and I'm talking every time I would close my eyes in a church, this image of the priesthood was like a um, was like an image burned into my brain. Uh, it got so so loud to the point where I was getting very angry with God, because it was this sense in which I want he, my will was one way. You know, I wanted to pursue this uh, this girl. I wanted to pursue marriage. That's what I thought I wanted and I needed. And then God's will seemed to be pointing me in the opposite direction, and that took a long time to wrestle mm. with. And of just going to say, don't you hate it when he gives you a choice? I know, I know. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. It's, uh, and it was, this, it was something where I just continued on in, the, uh, in, in this period of prayer to the point where I remember saying, look, I've got, to, I've got to try my best to do God's will here. But I remember I made a deal with God. Now, I don't recommend this. I don't think it's uh, you can't, you shouldn't really be putting God to the test in this way. But I remember saying to God once, look, if you're calling me to priesthood, you're going to have to make this happen. Uh, I'm not going to go out of my way and, uh, and break this girl's heart by, by just announcing this out of nowhere. You have to make the path clear for me. And, uh, and so that was basically the deal I made with God. If you want priesthood, then you've got to show me by, by paving the way. It was like two days later that I'm sitting at a, at a cafe with her. And she says to me, she says, Sam, look, I know that we're, we're discerning like our vocation and everything, but I've really been getting this, this sense from the Holy Spirit that there's, there's something holding you back. There's something that you need to deal with before we, before we move forward. Wow. <laughs> and I just remember thinking, funny you should say that. <laughs> um, and then that, that opened up this, this big conversation of, because she knew about the, the initial uh, call to, to priesthood and I, I mentioned it and, and thanks be to God in, in, a, in a moment of grace, she gave me uh, basically her blessing. She said, if this is what the Lord's calling yeah. you to, then, uh, then pursue that. So that was a very, wow. uh, that was a, a, it was a very amicable uh, kind of breakup, so mm. to say. And um, when, when I say God made the path straight, I mean it in every possible sense because the moment that happened, we had a new bishop installed in Broken Bay, and we'd been waiting quite a long time for a new bishop. And Bishop Peter, uh, Peter Commonsoli, now Archbishop of Melbourne, he was appointed to, to Broken Bay, and I sent him my letter within a few days. Like two days later, express post, he responds to that, saying, I would love to meet you and, and, and talk about seminary next year. So we're, we're talking about things happening within a space yeah. of a few months. So when uh, I say God made the path straight, yeah. he made the path straight in unbelievable fashion. and. Yeah. Um, that for me was just an absolute confirmation that wow. this was the path God was calling me on. And, and I felt peace in, in making that decision. As hard as it was emotionally, I felt peace that this was right. This yeah. is God's will. Can we just sit with that for a second? Because yeah. you've said a lot, but from, from doing it old school to actually being intentional and asking a girl out yeah. rather than playing games. Oh, yes. Yeah. 
actually speaking on the phone with one another, okay? Then having her come here and the two of you actually breaking out of that kind of friend zone barrier, yep. being very intentional about that. But then having the maturity to both discern and realize that you could get stuck in a very comfortable way of life. Mm-hmm. No one was stopping you yeah. from pursuing your lives together. But at your core, and I think it speaks to a very, it's a very profound sense of maturity that she had the courage to say to you, I can sense that you need to work something out. Yeah. And she almost helped you get over that hurdle. Yeah. Now, the reason I recap that the way that I did is because I know a lot of young couples today, um, having worked in high school ministry for a couple of years now, and even before that, where the way two young people who are very young and in my opinion shouldn't be in a relationship to begin yeah. with, but the way they come to the realization that they're in a relationship, there are games played, um, there's influence of friends, um, there's a lot of hiding. So there's a lot yeah. of online activity, um, hiding it from parents, um, all very unhealthy signs, red flags. Um, and I, I often think to myself, why do you want to grow up so fast? Mm, yeah. You are going to engage in relationship dynamics for the rest of your life. S- some will be beautiful. Others will be messy. Yeah. But if you're not properly discerning the will of God in an increasingly secular society, um, if you're not properly discerning that, then you're going to be in trouble. And I just want to highlight the stark contrast between what some relationships are now versus what you went through with this young woman. Because not a lot of people are, are comfortable enough within themselves to step out of what is unhealthy. Yeah. Yeah. And this is how and why I think we've got so many failed marriages is because they slide into marriage thinking everything will be better. Yep. If that's not better, we'll just have some children. Yep. Thinking that'll be better. And the end result is a broken family. Mm. Now, it's going to take a lot of courage for a young person to discern maybe I shouldn't be in this relationship. Maybe this isn't good for me. Yeah. Um, give us some advice. You know, you've, you've basically given it by your witness. Yeah. But... What do, you, what do you say to young couples that might find themselves in situations that aren't very healthy? Yeah, look, there, there's a few things there. But I mean, I, I look at my situation in particular and, and recognize that a lot of it was extraordinary grace from God. Now, we all need God's grace because by, by our own power, we're going to just fail again and again and again. Now, the thing that was really important, I suppose, that, that opened the doorway to receiving God's grace in that way was our relationship with God. One of the, one of the focal points of, of our relationship, I suppose, was our relationship with Jesus. We would do things together, like we would pray together. Very often we'd go to mass together. Uh, we, would, we would do uh, something that was difficult by society standards. We went to like a theology of the body course together. We were reading John Paul's Love and Responsibility together, which was wow. an insanely like um, 
highbrow kind of philosophical text that I was not ready for, but we, we battled through it. And we were asking all of these kind of questions and constantly, uh, you know, we made mistakes along the way and everything. Like we didn't know what we were doing, but we were trying to do God's will in the way that we knew how. And the only way that you can be open to God leading you in the way that he did for, for me, thanks be to him, uh, was being open to God. And it means, it means having the Lord at the center of the relationship very intentionally talking about God and his will regularly, not having it kind of as a cultural background to your relationship. It has to be front and center of what you're talking about. Otherwise, it will be drowned out by all kinds of emotions, the culture, what's seen as popular and all the, the kind of games that you're talking about. We live now in, um, I'm really into this guy named um, Carl Truman. He, he's, I don't think he's a Catholic. I think he might be a, a Presbyterian um, minister or, or philosopher or sociologist. And he wrote this book called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, which completely just transformed my, my view of how people operate and their sense of identity. But he talks about we live in an age of the therapeutic self where we think that uh, what feels good is what's right. And I think that's exacerbated by things like social media by rather than ha- picking up the phone and having a conversation, just texting because it's emotionally easy. Mm. But the more that you actually engage in hard conversations and talk about these difficult things, uh, the more you're, you're challenging yourself, you're creating a, a sense of uh, discipline, you're, you're figuring out who you are as a person. And I think you're able to, to do more. You're, you're able to, to kind of go further. And I think it's a, uh, and, and I think for the, the main point is just our openness to God's will in our life was a center point. And if you're not open to God, if you're not putting him at the center, it's going to be so much harder to receive his grace and make mature decisions. Because the decision we made, as you pointed out, they were mature, but they were mature beyond our years in the sense that there's no way I could have come to that naturally or alone without the grace of God. Yeah. Profound. Profound. Wow. Okay. So this has happened. Okay. Um, you're, you're no longer in this relationship. Yep. You've mailed, you've written to your new bishop. Yes. And he said, I'd love to meet with you. Yep. What happens from there? Look, it was very quick. We're talking a space of like three months, which is unheard of. And I don't think um, I could get away with it now, <laughs> but it was a, it was a, well, actually I was known to the vocations team. Mm. So it's not as if it was the first time they were seeing my face. They had me in the records. They'd had good conversations and they had a, a general idea of my character. So I wasn't coming out of nowhere, but basically I got called in. I had a good interview with the Bishop. He was happy with me. Um, just for a bit of context in the diocese of broken Bay, uh, we had something of a vocations shortage for quite a while. Uh, we'd had a few ordinations, but mostly guys who had come from overseas had done their formation and then had just got ordained here. Uh, and we had uh, one older vocation who had come from Sydney and was ordained uh, in, in Broken Bay uh, and had done his formation elsewhere. But we hadn't had a seminarian in Broken Bay go through like the, the normal seminary structure and get ordained from Broken Bay in like 20 years. Wow. Uh, we hadn't had anyone since uh, 1999. Wow. And so when I went in, you could see that that um, Bishop Peter, he was pretty keen. <laughs> you know, he was pretty keen to get a seminarian. And uh, and so he uh, he brought me into the fold quite quite quickly. And then I went through all of the stuff that you have to do in preparation for seminary, which is go and get a psychological assessment, make sure you're not, you know, completely crazy. <laughs> uh, you know, do all of your, your health and different records like that. 
um, you know, speak to make sure I'm uh, get all of my priest references, write my little life story, why I feel called. And then within a couple of months, uh, I was joining you in the seminary in, in 2016 at the age of 23. Mm. And what was it like on that summer day, walking into the seminary of the Good Shepherd, meeting your first year classmates for the first time and gazing over to a bold bearded leb, yeah. thinking, <laughs> what is this going to look like? Yeah for these next few years. Look, I thought to myself, this is going to be a great year. <laughs> Look, there was a little bit of fear in my eyes. <laughs> no, it was a it was a, a wonderful start to the year. I think one of my my memories was thinking, what a different group of people. Mm. Like we were a, a a motley crew of people from completely different backgrounds. Um you know, you in sales um and I, I won't I don't know how much I can mention everyone, but you know, we had uh, we had me, I suppose, youth ministry. We had um, tradies. Mm. We had uh, engineer, like engineer. it was a banker, banker <laughs> like, journalist. Yep, journalist. Um, it was a, it was such a mix. And I thought to myself, you know, uh, only God could bring these these yeah. guys together into a into a single place for a particular purpose. Yeah. And rather uniquely, homegrown. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Rather exactly. uniquely homegrown. So the Magnificent Seven, as we were called. We were called by our first year formator. Yeah, the Magnificent Seven. Oh, of course. What a great, <laughs> great time that was, 2016. And so, I, and I think some people, let's just touch on that for a moment because some people oftentimes in their discernment think if I make this decision, this is it. Yes. They're going to lock me up and throw away the key. Yeah. And we were told which is why I think our our formation was so fulfilling and wholesome. We were told constantly, you are not forced to be here. Mm. You know, you have the freedom to either embrace this program in its fullness or there's the door. Yeah. <laughs> so it's your freedom is always respected. Mm. And I think that's somewhat of a misconception Yes, it's difficult to make that decision, to make that leap. Mm. But what a lot of people don't know is there's no guarantee that you're going to come to the day of your ordination or you're going to come to the day of your final profession of vows Absolutely. when you enter into a religious house or a seminary. Yeah. There's no guarantee there. The discernment continues, and I have always said, it continues in a more concrete way. Yes. What would you have to say to that? Look, I think, you just, I think you're spot on. I mean, one of the things you don't want to... You don't want to use or abuse the seminary system or or any kind of religious house or order in the sense of having completely no idea and just joining up and being like, you know, let's see how we go and, you know, see where the chips fall. I think that's the wrong attitude to bring into a seminary. And I don't think they would admit you on the basis yeah. of that. There has to be that sense of calling there. But once you have that sense of calling, having the confidence to say, you know, this is where I, I believe God, the, the direction God is calling me to. I think this is my purpose. This is my path to holiness. Joining the seminary with that mentality and then not thinking that God's just going to leave you alone or, 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 um, or you know, kind of like stitch you up and, as you said, close the door and throw away the key. It's a very intentional time of discernment where it's like, okay, well, if I am called to this, Lord, show me the way. Work out all of the, the issues. Help me work through the issues that I have. Help me to... Uh, recognize the greater beauty of this vocation. You know, bring me the the peace that I that I seek in terms of um, this particular calling. It's uh, it's one where you have a, a general sense of the direction to where you're called, and then the seminary 
uh, I think is is working out the details, mm. is working out what that looks like, how you're going to grow in holiness, mm. and uh, and how you're going to ultimately be a servant of God's people. Yeah, and it was a very unique first year because we have a a technology fast mm. in the first mm. year of seminary, and so you put seven guys together from all different backgrounds that can't use their phones because we don't have them, no internet access, and we're all living in a very specific intimate wing of the mm. seminary, um, you get pretty creative <laughs> and you go back to a lot of the basics, I think, in our human interactions. Yep. So Father Sam and I famously came up with a, with a game called Hallball yep. where we lived in a corridor which was, what, about 10 metres or so? Yeah. Yeah, thereabouts. In my memory, it's about 25 metres. <laughs> <laughs> so what we'd do in this very narrow corridor would, like, just in some free time because you're studying all the time, it isn't high pressure, but for, for young men that have left mm. their lives and have come into an environment that isn't very familiar, you just want to have a laugh sometimes. Yeah. And so we came up with this game called Hallball where we take a tennis ball and we would, in a bowling motion, just roll the ball down the hallway and it wasn't allowed to touch the sides. <laughs> it seems simple. It seems like an easy game. But when you've got a long hallway, a long narrow hallway, just try it yourself. Yeah. It's actually, it's a, it's a lot harder than you think, especially, and most of it was a mental game. It's true. Because you're trying to psych out your opponent, yeah. you know, telling them, you know, like, like how terrible they are in bowling. Yeah. And it's, uh, it, was, it was a mental game. I think it was a spiritual game. <laughs> and you know That's, what? As for as many people, you know, that would like respond with laughter, we had our classmates wanting to play with us. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so yeah. Like, everyone wants to get involved. <laughs> and look at what you can do, okay, as maybe as mundane as that concept might be. Look at what you can do when you just start to eliminate the mindless things. Yeah. And we can just say, we're spending time together in this manner. We were in stitches laughing. Yeah. Sometimes we go high stakes and be like, if I win this game, next coffee's on you down at the cafe. <laughs> and like, you really got double fun or creative. Yeah, double or nothing. <laughs> yeah. we, no, we had some fun. We had some fun. And then even like the seminary was such a well-rounded place where in your first year program, you'd have to commit to several hours of gardening and maintenance a week. Mm. So we had afternoons where we'd be out in the sun and I, I only think it ever rained once in our first I year. I think so, yeah. Whereas we if got it out rained, it was cancelled. Yeah. But yeah. we had to garden three times a week. And so we'd be pulling out weeds, mowing the lawns, trimming hedges, sweeping, doing wow. all sorts of things. And we even had fun with that. Yeah. you know, We, we made it our own. And we did. Um, I think... Uh, Father Denny, now Bishop Denny, he, uh, I think he had a direct line to God with, with regards to the weather because <laughs> there was times where during lunch it would be raining and then he would go outside, look at the sky, and I'm sure the clouds would just part <laughs> and the beaming sun would come through and we had to put our straw hats on and out we went. Yeah, yeah, and we marched so, out and yep. we got it done. It was absolutely fantastic. Was great. The simplicity of that is so – it's honestly so beautiful. Yeah, It sounds – I mean, not to say that like – it should be appealing to everyone that, that the seminary, mm. um, like joining the seminary, obviously not everyone's called to the priesthood, um, but but the simplicity of that lifestyle is really, it's actually really attractive. Like just hearing about it now, I'm like, 
it is unbelievably nice. freeing. Yes. And I think just as a broader cultural point on what Father Ben was saying, I do not remember in my six years of seminary a single time uh, where I was looking at my phone, social media, um, any of those things. However, I have many memories of of hall ball, bucket ball, bucket all ball. the uh, you know um, you know shooting hoops out in the the tennis courts and, and all the rest of it. I have all of the memories of the creative things that we came up with, which were very human, uh, but I've got no, I've got no recollection of, uh, of spending time on, on social media and, and pouring hours and hours into that. So wow. I think it's just one thing that we should be, uh, we should just be cognizant of and, and I'm very aware of. We should spend a lot of our time living life in, in real life relationships. Um, from the Catholic perspective, we are a sacramental church and there is nothing more important than that actual real and physical uh, relationship rather than just this, yes. um, you know, living virtually through the phone. There's so much yeah. more to yeah. be had through, uh, through that human creativity. Amen. Wow. And that's not something that has to just happen in a seminary. It, yeah, can, ha absolutely. it can happen at home um, with your families. And one of the things I think that stops families from doing that is because it requires effort. It's not easy, you know, getting everyone together, playing a board game. It's not easy getting everyone together around the table, especially as your children start to grow up, teenage years, a lot more disconnected, and especially if they've got an addiction to their yeah. devices. Um, but there is no such thing as it's too late. We can always reprogram. I, as a 31-year-old, entered the seminary, and I was in sales. I was a businessman. And how freeing that first year was not having my phone. I had to reprogram because I was always checking emails. I was always, you know, on calls. And then I remember walking into the seminary going, I don't need to do that anymore. Or if I need to check an email, I've got no choice. I can't check it till the end of the week. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very, very freeing. Yeah. You ne it's never too late to start. We can always reprogram. It always takes a little bit of effort and sometimes a little bit of pain. Yes. Just to let go of the things that are unhealthy in our own lives. Yeah. But it, event, it, it works and it works to our benefit, yeah. which is a great thing. The, the creativity that came from that was the result of boundaries. Mm. And that can be applied to everyone. Yes. And I think we wouldn't, have had the, we wouldn't have had the fun times that we did or, or built the relationships that we did without the boundary that was set for us from outside. And I think that's a particular note to the parents yeah. in the sense that we had a, a seminary structure where the, where the staff, they were the ones who said, okay, phones in the, remember the phone box, the phone box. or the phone bucket. We had to put our phone in the bucket uh, at the beginning of the week and we, we uh, wouldn't get it until Saturday. And we had one day to use our phones. Otherwise they were completely switched off. And yeah. so that boundary being applied to us, meant that we learned to live within that new framework. Yeah. And, and the fruits of that were just oh, yeah. extraordinary. Yeah. And I think for parents, they have that same authority, that same jurisdiction uh, over their kids. It might not need to be that restrictive, although you could choose that, um, but to, to at least set very solid boundaries so that in, in a time that there is not that access, all of that natural human creativity uh, comes to the surface. So you've, you've had a beautiful time in the seminary. Okay, um, you you become and allow me to say this. Sure, you become a bit of a poster boy for vocations in your diocese yep. because you're the first <laughs> in over twenty odd years. Um, 
how do you handle that being the the sole seminarian for Broken Bay um, with an entire diocese that's praying for you, which is yeah. great. But how do you handle that? Did you ever feel pressure like I'm the only one, so I've yeah. got to go through with this? That's a that's a great question. I know that was there was a lot of pressure at the beginning uh, when I was first joining because it was like everything was it sent everything felt supernatural and everything felt bigger than Ben Hur. But what I actually found was uh, I remember I remember being scared about this idea of being the only one in Broken Bay, and that's why. I was toying with the idea of Sydney early on because I'd been in university there, and um, but you know I I I knew that my faith had been fostered in the diocese of Broken Bay, and that's where God was calling me to serve. But I I was at a theology on tap one night, and the now father Josh Scott was a third year seminarian, and I remember saying, "Oh, I'm like I'll be the first one," and you know I, I don't know if I can do it, and he just said. Um, I don't. I can't repeat exactly what he said. He said, "Don't be a uh, scaredy cat." <laughs> uh, he said, uh, "You just join, and others will follow. Trust in the Lord. Don't think that you've got this under control. This is God's work, not your own." Wow. And I remember, like that may as well have been written in the gospel, as far as I was concerned, because in my mind, seminarians are like, "Oh my gosh, these are the holiest people in the world." Mm. Uh, and he said that, and I, I took it to heart, and I joined. Broken Bay, and as he prophesied on that day, very soon I had guys uh, coming in after me to the point where there was, I think, while I was in seminary, we might have had um, four, four guys, and now it's like six nice. uh, in wow. the in the in formation, and we've had uh, ordinations after me. I was ordained with with two guys, um, Father Roger and Father Aldrin, alongside me for the diocese, which was wonderful. They they've come over from um, from the Philippines, but did their formation here in Australia, and. Uh, and it came true, but being the being the sole um, seminarian at the start, one of the greatest things was I didn't feel the pressure because I was in the seminary structure that you described. Mm-hmm. I had my brotherhood around me. Um, I had you know who were who were kind of in it with me. I was shielded in some sense from everything coming from without because I didn't have access to my phones, and I was focused on the on the seminary formation program, and so. I was kind of brought into a family where that became my focus rather than um, thinking about like the, the pressure from the diocese. As the years went on, it kind of started to build a little bit, but I think it's, um, thanks be to God, I wasn't the only one and I, I didn't remain the only one. You know, people started to, to follow, which has been such a, uh, such a blessing. Wow. Wonderful. Wonderful. And then we're going through seminary and you can't remain in seminary forever. Yeah. So then the talk of being called to orders is now um, near and you get called to orders to the um, to, to the, be a candidate to be a candidate and um, to be ordained for the diaconate and then shortly after that priesthood yes how important were were those occasions for you and your family how were you feeling did you get cold feet prior to ordination yeah uh, look that's a that's a big one I, I i alluded to it earlier in the conversation that i had a few years in seminary where i was my spiritual life was bone dry so i wasn't sure if god was still calling me to priesthood now when it comes to discernment you know we all know that uh one of the first things you learn in the seminary is is saint ignatius's rules of discernment and part of that is to never make a decision in desolation so if you're in a period where you, you feel at peace and you feel God's calling you to something, 
you want to respond firmly to that. But if you're feeling distant from God, if you're feeling fear, if you're feeling uncertainty and confusion, never make a decision. Never make a life-altering decision in that state. Mm. Uh, that's It's the most disastrous thing you can do spiritually because uh, think of it as the enemy. The devil is going to be the one. He's got control in that situation. He's the one using confusion. He's the one using fear. All of these like um, self-doubt, you know, self-loathing or shame or any of those things, that's the devil's playground. And he's going to be the loudest voice in, in that storm. And so don't make any decisions. Wait until you experience that peace again and that the knowledge of God calling you forward. So I had this principle like firmly established in my first year of the seminary. Getting into second, third, fourth, I had profound spiritual dryness. I'd be rocking up to the holy hour every night. I'd be looking around. Everyone's praying and they're, they're on their knees and they're adoring the Lord in adoration. And I'm thinking to myself, like, I, I don't know why these guys all, you know, so holy and I'm, I'm struggling along here. Um, but I, I did my best. I just kept giving everything over to God. I kept praying the divine office. I kept praying my rosary, kept doing my study. And, and I was wondering, God, are you still calling me to this? Like, mm. I, I don't know what your will is, um, you know, I, I certainly knew that you called me to this, but where are you through the midst of all of this storm? And then it was in about the fifth year uh, that we, we had a, a particular retreat of, of St. Therese of Lisieux. And it was, it was just something about, about St. Therese's character, her utter trust in God, despite desolation and despite pain and despite fear, um, that I had this, this moment of awakening that even in this darkness, God is still calling me forward. And that gave me the confidence that I needed to overcome the doubts that I was having. Uh, and so when it got to that point, there was all of the practicals that needed to be dealt with in terms of ordination, but I was confident that God was calling me uh, to orders. He was calling me to diaconate and then to, to priesthood. So um, I really have to say, I have to thank St. Therese for, for her saintly uh, example uh, for, for basically dispelling those doubts and drawing me over the line. And thanks be to God, I had a rush in the, in the retreat before my ordination of the overwhelming presence of God once again, where I was confirmed in this sense of I'm absolutely called to the priesthood. So Amazing. Yeah. Wow. And then the bishop of Broken Bay, Bishop Anthony Randazzo, yeah. at, on the day of your priestly ordination, lays his hands on your head and you become a priest. What's that day like for you and your family? Absolutely surreal. Um, I, it actually, funny when I, when I think back to the day of my priesthood, it's not, it's not super vivid. It's actually quite ethereal and it's quite, uh, there's like almost a, a haze of grace over, over the whole thing. Uh, but I just remember there was that, there was that moment when, when I realized this is my life and this, this, this is the, the first day of the rest of my life when uh, I had a palpable sense of all of the prayers of the church, the communion of the, sa of the saints, um, as I was prostrate on the ground and, and receiving those graces and, and the, the presence of the Holy Spirit when the bishop laid his hands on my head uh, and ordained me a priest. And I realized from this moment on, my life is no longer my own. Um, Fulton Sheen, in his mm -hmm. book, uh, The Priest is Not His Own. Uh, from that moment, I had been called to to die to myself and completely live at the mm. service of others in the, in the ministerial priesthood. And there is nothing, there is no peace quite like 
knowing your vocation. Yes. And it's, it doesn't mean like all of the details of life are worked out, but there is no peace like realizing your purpose and being in your vocation. So from the, whether it be the, the day of marriage or whether it be uh, ordination to, to, to priesthood or, or consecrated life, that moment where you are, you are within the vocation now. Yeah. You don't know what the future holds, but you know that you're on the right path. You know that you're, uh, that you're, you're uh, this, is the, this is the instrument by which God will call you to greatest holiness and ultimately to salvation. No peace like that. I don't know if I ever told you this, but Father Sam was the first to be ordained in our class. Oh, yes. Um, but your, the day of your ordination was a real shot of adrenaline in my arm, in my spiritual life. Mm. Um, because we're persevering, we're doing yeah. our best and it's not always good times, you know. I was joyful. I always knew I was joyful. And I always knew that that marker, that measure of peace that you alluded to was always there. And it's what I would, you know, that's what would dictate um, where I was going in my discernment. But when I saw my brother ordain that day, there was such a joy that was so consistent with the peace that I had felt for so many years. And I was like, he's going to be a good priest and please God, let me join him one day. And from there it was like, just kept flowing. So, Absolutely. um, but they, they put you to work straight away. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the caps that you now wear is, uh, is vocations director. Yes. Um, now in my opinion, that's a great move based on a couple of things. Firstly, young guy who, has had experiences of his own where it wasn't always clear cut. Mm. You've had the experience of just jumping into something stupidly. <laughs> yep. Um, and then realizing, no, I've got to take a, a, a step back and think this through properly through prayer. Um, rejecting it. Yeah. Rejecting yep. it, <laughs> doing all of that. Um, so there's, there's that side of things. So you know that. You've had the current experience of seminary. So it's all very yep. fresh. It's not like something that happened 50 years ago. Yeah. Um, how have you taken to that role, to that responsibility? Firstly, yep. I suppose is my question and I'll ask a follow-up. Sure. Look, I mean, immediately, so I, I had been ordained a deacon and then a priest. Uh, well, I, I was a deacon for one year. Then I was ordained a priest after that. And I was a priest for about one year in my parish when I was then asked to be the vocations director. My immediate thought was, this is beyond my station. Uh, this, is, this is well and truly above my pay grade, so to say. Um, it's such a intense responsibility and I don't feel ready for it. Uh, but as all things are in life, you respond to God's grace. You, you rise to the occasions which are, are, are given to you and you've actually articulated Bishop Anthony Renduzzo's mentality almost perfectly. He, he said to me, look, uh, I recognize that you are a, a young guy and that, you know, your time in the priesthood hasn't been all that long. However, when it comes to promoting vocations, when it comes to uh, accompanying guys who are discerning their vocation to, to priesthood or it might be young women for, for religious life, you've just had these experiences within like the, the last decade of your life. You've been through those ups and downs and you've got that, uh, the capacity to recognize within them, some of the movements within yourself. And I think on top of that, we are obviously living in a very new context. 
We've spoken about some of this stuff already in the age of social media, in the age of the internet, in the age of um, phones and all of the uh, all of the hardships and the difficulties and the, the sinfulness that comes along with that. You recognize all of those challenges and you're able to speak into that in a way that mm-hmm. um, perhaps uh, an older priest may be unable to do because yeah. they, they simply haven't had that experience. So just being close to that, that period of discernment was the main motivating factor for, uh, for Bishop Anthony choosing me to, to do that. So it's nice. been a, a great honor to be chosen for that role, but also I recognize the immense responsibility and I rely on God's grace as well as my team. My voca- uh, the assistant vocations director is Father Stephen Waioi, who is a priest from the Apostles of Jesus Order uh, from Kenya. He was actually my spiritual director who, uh, who gave me the kick in the pants the first time to, to just say yes to God and, and, and join the seminary. So uh, he now works with me and I've got a, a, another woman, Michelle, who's our vocations officer. And with their help, because they've been in the game longer than I, we kind of all work together to, nice. to, to do the, the work of God. You've been given this, this hat of vocations director. Tell us, what is it or what do you look for? Um, when, when a young man or woman approaches you, what, what are you looking for in them? Okay. Well, right at the start, it's, it's pretty simple. Like I'm not, I'm not looking for everything all at once. But the, the main signs that I'm looking for is first of all, I have little acronyms for things. And this one is CCP, not Chinese Communist Party. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's calling courage and prayer. And so first and foremost, calling is the sense that they're not just uh, rocking up out of nowhere, like we said before, with a vague interest in priesthood or religious life. We're talking about they've had some experience of uh, God, uh, God's calling outside themselves, outside the normal uh, kind of uh, day-to-day run-of-the-mill of their, of their life. So there's this sense that they are being called by God to a particular vocation. That's what I'm looking for. And that looks different, so I can't really prescribe exactly what that looks like. Um, but for everyone, it's going to be different. But they have to have a sense of purpose. They're being called to it. It's not just their own idea, and they're not just kind of uh, mucking around with the idea and just giving it a go. It's got to be a bit more than that. Second one is courage, the the ability to make a decision. That's that is really really important. We talk about discernment. In fact, at the Purpose Conference, Matt Frad talked about ever since discernment became popular, no one's made a decision. Uh, and it's this sense that people have to have. The, the capacity to, to take the risk, to have the maturity to take a risk and to do something uh, courageous. And so that's what I'm, I'm looking for. It's like, are we just talking about this or, or are you willing to actually take some of the steps? That's what I'm looking for in a serious vocation. The last one is, of course, prayer. In fact, it's probably the most important of them, but that is that they have a real and ongoing relationship with God. They have a prayer life. Um, it's not just they're not just operating out of a sense of, oh, I would look good in, you know, in a cassock. Um, it's got to be, I actually have great love for Jesus and uh, I have a daily relationship with the Lord and it's out of that relationship that I'm responding to this thing that I'm calling, that I think is a calling. And what could you tell our beautiful internet people at home? <laughs> I got one in this episode. That's great. Um, <laughs> for, a, for a person who is discerning, but they might not know if they're exhibiting the signs of a vocation, yeah. um, can you speak to that a little yes. bit? What might that look like? Look, um, I've got some notes on this, if you don't mind. Yeah, I just want to call it, it up. Uh, so and this is important to have a few notes as a vocations director. But the first one, in fact, my story was a bit of a testament to this. And I'm sure uh, from, from what I understand, everyone in the seminary 
has this first one, and that is persistent thought or desire. When there's a calling, it's not something that kind of comes one day and then just completely disappears forever. A calling from God, whether it be to um, to priesthood or diaconate or to marriage or to religious life, um, I don't like saying si- like sometimes people also add single life. I don't. I, I prefer baptismal mission because the singleness is not is not the vocation. Mm. It's the mission. It's what yes. they actually call the service to which they are called mm. out of their out of their baptism. So if it's a constant and it's a persistent a thought or desire that that keeps coming up in prayer. So. And, and one of the ways to recognize it is it seems almost improbable. Like it's, you know, for example, in my story, I was hoping for marriage. I was hoping for kids. I was hoping for success. And yet all of a sudden there's this thought, there's this desire that seems to run contrary to that. Um, and, it's, and it's something that's ever present. It's persistent. The uh, second thing which we've also talked about is peace. When it comes to the discernment of spirits, uh, the, the devil can do a lot. He can throw up a lot of confusion. He can throw up a lot of fear. But one thing that, that Satan cannot do is peace. And so when you're experiencing a sense of peace within the context of a calling, you can be quite confident that the Holy Spirit is involved, that God is behind that. Uh, and so pay attention to those moments of peace. And that's why St. Ignatius is so, um, so focused on make decisions within consolation, make decisions within peace, not within fear, not within shame, not within um, worry. Mm. Um, after that, we have like joy and excitement. You actually want to do it. Like when you start considering the vocation, um, you're not completely turned off by it. You know, at the start, I totally was, but as it began to grow in me, I started to realize, hold on, you know, I would actually, there's many aspects of priesthood that I would love to do. And so when that starts um, coming forward, that's a that's also a good sign. You, you're not God's not going to call you to something that you are absolutely dead set against. That's just not how it works. Affirmation. This is an important one. Um, affirmations that come outside of yourself. So um, oftentimes, if you're a young man or woman, if people in your parish, if people in your family, if your friends are coming up to you and saying you would make a good priest or you would make a, a good religious sister, mm. um, pay attention to that because you know the Holy Spirit is not at work just in yourself, mm. but also in other people around you. Or even your girlfriend at the time. Exactly. <laughs> or your girlfriend could say, I think there's something holding you back. <laughs> it's uh, well, and, like That's a perfect example of it. In fact, I've actually never connected those dots. Um, but like that's a, that's a massive one. Listen to the people around you, but particularly listen to the people that know you the most. Uh, their, their thoughts uh, are going to be very, very important. Um, so affirmations outside of yourself. Because oftentimes... We might think we're really good at something and then when we do it, it's like a total flop. Um, so that's actually the next point, positive outcomes. So when you start making moves in that direction, for example, like if you go and see the vocations director and after one meeting they're like, look, I don't think you're, you're cut out for this. Um, that might be an important piece of data, at least at that point in your life, that maybe you're not ready uh, for this just yet. Positive outcomes, like I described in my story, obstacles are removed from your path. God will, God's grace is real. He can, he can start affecting change in your life and those obstacles will start to move. Um, prayer, obviously, if you feel uh, called towards any particular uh, way of life, you'll be called to a prayer life commensurate with that. So if you're, um, if you're called to priesthood or religious life, you're going to be called to a much more structured, deeper form of prayer, praying the divine office, rosary every day, mass, um, you know, regular confession, adoration of, of our Lord in the Eucharist. Um, you're, you're called to a, a life of prayer commensurate 
with your life. For example, um, a someone who might be called to priesthood or religious life can spend a lot more time in the context of, say, adoration. Whereas someone in the in the married vocation, you know, a, a mom or a dad, they can't spend hours in prayer before the Blessed Sacrament. They can get in a little bit of time. They they might you know pay a visit each day to the church or once a week for a, um, for a longer period of time. But you know you can't just if you've got kids or if you've got a vocation and work, you can't be spending all of your time in that in that rigorous life of prayer. And finally, growth in holiness. If you start discerning priesthood, religious life, married life, um, consecrated mission, uh, the more that you pursue that, the greater you begin to grow in holiness and relationship with God. If you're starting to see um, all of those signs or a mixture of some of those signs, they're pretty good. They're pretty good indicators. That, uh, that the Lord is calling you to a vocation. I, I really appreciate the practicality of um, the way that you're speaking and even the questions that have been asked. Like, these are a lot of things that I've maybe not so consciously wondered, yeah. but it's always been in the back of my mind, like uh, the, these sort of more practical questions. I do have maybe maybe what might be a little bit of a weird practical sure, <laughs> question, but um, when it when it comes to the discernment of uh, maybe maybe particularly the priesthood, but but discernment in general, but um, are there sort of are there skills sometimes that you look at in a person that think okay maybe maybe you're not maybe you wouldn't be cut out for this vocation, like uh, for example, you know if someone's not so good at communicating or, um, uh, or or they're not so much a personable <laughs> character sure, sure is that something that you think hold like you, you think that'll hold you back in the priesthood sort of thing so um i could see a situation like it, it would depend if that if there is a complete and innate inability um due to you know due to some you know mental illness or disability then there might be a preclusion say from um from priesthood however if it's just something that someone's not particularly good at at the moment there's uh there's no sense in which that should that that would be an obstacle okay. um and, and i think that's something that gets worked out through uh through spiritual direction and also formation i mean there's all all of us have uh, inherent weaknesses in, in certain areas which means uh that everyone like everyone's call to priesthood is not going to look the same for example like we might identify in our mind when we think of a priest we think of the super charismatic preacher who's up on and he's like he's controlling the room he's pressing the flesh he's impressing people with his his presence yeah um, that might be wonderful and that might be the the mode to which God has called that particular priest but there's a whole other side of priesthood which is the contemplative prayerful priest who's the good spiritual director who's the one who's focused on listening um, and, and that is just as much of a valid call as the other so there's no inherent skill set that someone has to be across entirely uh, in order to be successful as a priest. There is as many expressions of the priesthood as there are people called to it. Um, and I think that's just, it's one of those things that don't make sure not to, uh, and I'm speaking to everyone here, don't fall into this cookie cutter image yes. of what a priest is, what a nun is. Um, if you're experiencing some of those things that I mentioned earlier, um, don't, don't uh, put yourself outside of that just because you don't fit this preconceived idea. Um, actually have the confidence that God will lead you and guide you to grow in the areas that you need to grow and also uh, fan the flame of the gifts that you already have. Wow. Mm. That was beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Um, 
well, because we're speaking about that, what might be some of the red flags? Red flags, um, okay. Red flags is is kind of the opposite of that. When someone's obsession is purely with a preconceived notion of of what a priest is, and basically when a calling seems skin deep, you know, there's the the old adage, um, the the habit maketh not the monk, and and so someone who is obsessed with um, with wearing a cassock in public uh, or owning the libs with a with a kind of a conservative or a traditional kind of bent i mean all of these things are like it's if they're just obsessed with say the the politics of the church or the image of the church or wearing the fineries that's a red flag because it's not based it's not based on a calling from christ it's not based out of a an, uh, an inner sense of call it's based on these external things which can be very very much tied up in the ego and we've just got to be really like aware of that. So that would be an immediate red flag for me if someone's just operating at a surface level yeah. of what it means to be a priest or they come to you and they have no real notion of what a priest does. Yeah. Like they're, they're, if their image of a priest is only goes as deep as saying mass and hearing confession, mm-hmm. then that's probably also a red flag or at least an occasion to say, look, I think you need to go back and pray about this a little bit more. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh. If you want to dress up as Neo, do it elsewhere yeah. in the Catholic Church. So. Exactly. Yeah. We, we, yeah. We, we we need more than just uh, more than just actors and, and and pretenders for sure. That's it. That's it. Awesome. So okay, um, there have been so many blessings in such a short amount of time. Just briefly, do you, can you speak to some of those blessings as a priest, and maybe some of the challenges as a priest? Mm. The blessings of, of priesthood, yeah, they are innumerable, but I think one of the, for the sake of brevity, one of the, the greatest ones is the, uh, the openness and the willingness of people to invite you into their lives. It hit me from the day after my diaconate ordination, uh, and, but especially after I was ordained a priest. The moment that uh, I was ordained, the, the depths to which people were willing to be vulnerable with me and invite me into the the darkest and most intimate areas of their life without a thought and knowing that I, I was, I, my vocation was to be, um, be there for them in the image of Christ. I cannot express to you how humbling that is to in the first few minutes of meeting someone to be brought into the, into the deepest uh, areas of hurt. In fact, it's, I mean, and it, I, I can't share it, but there was a, a moment early this week where I, I'm within the first 45 seconds of meeting somebody they had brought me into the most painful experience of their life and, and was asking for advice. And no other vocation um, can, can bring that kind of blessing. And that is a, that is a human, an insight into, into human vulnerability and uh, that I just, I honestly can't express it. So that's by far the best blessing. And maybe one of the biggest challenges. One of the biggest challenges of, uh, of priesthood, I think, is the is the shift from seminary to ministry and what i mean by that is you the part of the skills of the seminary is the structure uh or sorry one of the benefits of the seminary is the structure there's this whole routine of prayer and as we've talked about there's this intense brotherhood where you're constantly supported you're you're in a scrum with each other you're 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 all pushing in the one direction and it's really uh it's very very encouraging once you're ordained, uh, you're, 
you're placed out into a par- uh, into a parish, and oftentimes you're kind of let loose into ministries. And while there is great growth that comes from that, it is also really a struggle that when you're when you're feeling down or when you're completely feeling like you're you're um, you're burning out or your your candles like almost a, about to go out like in priesthood you don't have the the brotherhood in the same way and so you've got to find other ways of of reaching out and getting that support that you need so i think that's one of the um one of the one of the greatest challenges is that shift and i just hope that as we go forward in the life of the church we can actually bring some of that more into the life of priesthood where fraternity is is uh is built much more strongly into the daily life of priests so you've you've been through quite a bit in a very short amount of time in in ordained ministry but you have a very unique privilege of not only ministering to the people within your own diocese but now as it happens around the world Mm. um you've got a very unique um approach (laughs) and um for those of you that don't know father sam is rather prominent on social media in a very positive way Mm. Do you want to speak? I hope. Well, <laughs> by all accounts, and I'll get into my thoughts on, on that a little bit after I ask this question, but you have found a way to connect with people um, and you're reaching audiences that maybe you once never thought would have been reachable. Yeah. What was the motivation beto- behind, firstly, you creating these accounts um, and then... The creative process just i want to leave you to okay tell sure <laughs> you go okay it. look um one of the funny things god writes straight with crooked lines it's uh it, it's amazing how i've found myself in the position that i have because if you in fact you'll be able to find this online now if you search my name um just sam french before i was father sam french and then you type in broken bay news which is the publication for my diocese only 12 months ago well, actually, when I was in the seminary with Father Ben, uh, I was very anti-social media. And in fact, I've written a number of articles about why you should switch from a smartphone to a dumb phone. I've written articles about all of the benefits of cancelling social media completely out of your life. <laughs> and uh, the funny thing is I stand by all of those because I still think social media is a net negative on society. However, it is a mission field because that's where people are at. And so we can, we can uh, our vocation, it's not just about me. It's, it's about who else is in the world? Who are we ministering to? So how did all of this begin? World Youth Day in Portugal last year, Bishop Anthony uh, had a bunch of the seminarians, a couple of young priests coming along, and I wind up on the high school bus. So I'm put with all of these 16, 17-year-old kids uh, along with their teachers and we're going to World Youth Day, and I'm the chaplain for the for the um, for the school bus, so to say. And I'm thinking to myself, like I'm I'm 30, but I'm kind of like an old 30. Like <laughs> I'm I'm into really like into sociology and and philosophy and things that I don't know how to relate to 16 year olds. What what can I do here? Uh, maybe I'll give like social media another crack. Maybe I'll jump on there and I'll I'll just give it my best shot in terms of creating some content, just so I've got something in common with, with these young people. So I start posting a couple of videos early on. And then all of a sudden, when like I did drama in high school and also outside of high school. So 
um, among all of my brothers, I received none of the sporting genes. Um, I was kind of always the, the one who was out there. So doing drama, doing archery and karate and other things like that. And uh, all of a sudden, like all my memories from kind of like drama and like hobbies in like little, like doing little films and stuff as a teenager all came back to my mind. And I was like, oh, hold on, I can use this kind of stuff in creating videos. So I started making these, uh, these videos and by the grace of God, they just popped off as, uh, as Gen Z <laughs> likes to say. Um, and, and they just started kind of going wild all of a sudden, like thousands to 10,000s to hundreds of thousands and a few videos in the millions of views. And that kind of kicked off the whole, the whole journey. And I just remember thinking there's no way that me doing this and being met with this success is just completely accidental. God has to be calling me to some kind of mission here. So my whole approach to social media is a very simple one. It's, as I mentioned it before the show, my whole mission is essentially to baptize uh, trends or to baptize memes. I find whatever other people are doing online, I find a way of kind of mimicking that, but then injecting Catholicism or Christianity into that. And if, if I have a mission statement, it would be to interrupt the doom scroll. That's how I basically, I advertise my social media. To interrupt the doom, doom scroll. scroll. <laughs> exactly. And so the doom scroll, for those of us that have no idea what yep. a doom scroll is, yep. is what? So a doom scroll is essentially what we're seeing a lot among um, younger generations at the moment, which is on Instagram, particularly on Reels, on TikTok and on YouTube Shorts. Basically, the algorithm works you out very quickly. Mm. It finds out the kind of content exactly what you like and how long you're willing to watch for. And the, the level of personalization is almost supernatural with what these um, algorithms can do. And so basically the doom scroll is when someone goes on there thinking, you know, five minutes and they're there for a couple of hours. Wow. And because the algorithm is so attuned to what it is that they want that it's continuously spitting out the content tailored for that person based on their past preferences. Um, now you can imagine like the, the opportunity for that to lead people down areas of sin and things like that, especially where um, men in particular are very visual. So if it's um, basically, you know, softcore pornography or whatever, it's going to lead people down yeah. that, that kind of path and just keep serving up more and more of that. Um, but the doom scroll is, uh, so that's very real and people get trapped into that for hours. And the whole idea of interrupting the doom scroll is to make a video that is uh, popular enough or kind of like edgy enough to get into that mix but then to have a, a signpost that's pointing them back to Jesus mm. or back to the church or, or just to, uh, to be doing something that is emblematic of Christianity or the church. Nice. And so my whole approach is not just to be um, like the, the talking head, although I do some of those videos when I engage with, with cultural issues. But when I make these meme things, I call the funny videos, it's about making it so it's, it's, uh, it's watchable enough to be to entertain someone's attention but to point them back to the yeah. Lord and uh, that's basically my my whole mission statement and all I need to do is basically find something that's important like one of my favorite things is go to confession which I think is such an easy um, easy in in terms of like Catholic culture and and it opens up a whole um, can of worms of conversation and just to inject that into little videos where people are watching something they think it's funny and then all of a sudden there's this call go to confession um, this actually has a lot more. I didn't, I, I didn't really know what I was doing at the start. I just started making these videos and being creative. But someone who actually knows something about like the algorithm said to me, 
you realize you're doing more than you, you think because by adding all of these hashtags into my video of like Catholic, Christianity, Jesus, Mary, Joseph, um, you know, saints, vocation, priesthood, what's happening is people who otherwise wouldn't be looking at any kind of Christian or Catholic content, by virtue of them watching your video for the 30 seconds or something that it goes for, the algorithm is then adjusting for them. And they're going to start getting more Christian videos. They're going to start getting more Catholic videos wow. to the point on uh, where in some of my TikTok videos, people are saying, how am I stuck in Catholic TikTok? Mm. Um, like, they're, 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 <laughs> you know, they're not otherwise Christian or Catholic or believing in any sense. And all of a sudden they're getting dished up all of this Catholic material. So yeah. I love being a part of that. <laughs> I love kind of, in, you know, uh, interrupting that doom scroll. That's awesome. What yeah. was the first video that blew up? Or popped as these younger people popped are saying. Popped off, yeah. Popped off. <laughs> what was the first video where you thought, maybe there's something here, maybe I can continue doing things like this? Yeah. What was that very first video? Well, I think I think one of the first I made in terms of the Instagram thing was one on on uh, on Saint Francis and what he didn't say. You know, um, preach the gospel at all, at all times and yeah. um, when necessary, use words. And basically it was like a debunked video because so St. Francis never said that. And I was trying really hard and I was saying things like that's cap and like all of the <laughs> kind of Gen Z language. Um, so really trying too hard to get into that space. Uh, and I mean, it went okay, but I think the one that really blew up was my Ghostbusters. Oh, no, actually it was before the Ghostbusters video. It was the, um, I think it, the song was I've Got the Power. Um, and it was a it was a video of me blessing a house. Mm. So the whole idea is me <laughs> taking an image of priesthood. Everyone who's who's Catholic um, or really into Catholic culture knows that when you move into a new house, you call the priest and he comes and blesses it. He's like, how can I make this into like something that's watchable? Mm. And so um, I play the part of the the old granny coming up asking for the <laughs> for the house blessing, and then it cuts to me, and you know I'm thrown on the sunnies twirling the candles in my hand, you know, lo loading the holy water like it's a gun, you know, and speeding <laughs> off in the car. And it was that kind of thing that had this massive reaction. And I realized, hold on a second, there's nothing that's sacrilegious here. I'm taking a part of Catholic culture. Uh, I'm dressing it up in a fun way and, uh, and I'm, I'm making it kind of consumable and, and people are responding. And, and I thought, okay, there's, there's a real opportunity here. Like if I, if I can keep this creativity flowing, then I think people will be interested in this kind of thing. Uh, and I didn't really know why, but it's been the responses to those videos that have kind of confirmed me in yeah. this social media ministry. And funnily enough, a 400% increase in house blessings that week. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. In fact, uh, I think it's next weekend I have three lined up. Wonderful. <laughs> so, Wonderful. And wow. I, I always have to put up the disclaimer. It's not like you see in the videos. <laughs> so, okay, there's, there's positivity there. Yeah. But we're talking about the internet. Yeah. And there's always going to be some negativity too. Yeah. I'm sure you've got your trolls and there are people online that do not like what you do. Yeah. How do you deal with that just as a person? How do you deal with that? With, um, <laughs> because you, enga you engage with your audience. Yeah. As I said at the beginning of this show, you engage with them. So there's, that has to surely play on whether it's positive or negative. Yeah. That must affect you in some way. It absolutely does, um, especially in the early days. So I didn't know the monster that I was um, I was engaging with at the start. And this is where I think my background of having had such 
clear boundaries of social media was so important because I wasn't going into social media with this sense of, oh, this is just a new horizon. It's all wonderful and all good. And it's going to be a great new opportunity for evangelization. It mm. is all of those things, but it is also rife with dangers. It is also rife with negativity and outright vitriol and kind of hatred at times. And so I went in knowing all of that. And I think at the start, uh, when I was engaging with everyone and, and kind of trying to build that audience, I was very vulnerable because I didn't quite know like the extent of it. And so I was reading all of the comments and I was on and I was on there for hours. And that was the first problem. It was actually starting to affect my other area of ministry. And so I thought, no, I've, I've really got to get a handle on this. But um, at the start, all of this negativity, obviously we we all know about in the in the early 2000s, all of the revelations around the abuse crisis in the church and everything. So you can imagine the types of insults I'm getting and often those uh, being called those kind of names comes, like I'll probably get about 20 a day, like on, on TikTok in particular. Wow. And so there's a lot of kind of um, hurt and vitriol that comes towards me just as a representative of the church. And so very early on, I realized when it comes to uh, engaging with social media, never do it when I'm angry and never do it when I'm tired um, because it's my, my defenses are down and all of a sudden I'll be reading through, I'll, I'll see something and it's just like a dagger to the heart. It's like, mm. oh, like I can't take much more of this. I just want to highlight that particular point and I might even add another category. Yeah. Never do it when it's late. Yes, <laughs> yep. Um, angry, tired and late and you see the amount of vitriol and venom spat around online by people that are just unhappy in life. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that, that's a great rule to have in the way that you handle all of that. Look, have super strict boundaries. I know on iPhones, there's the whole screen time app, at which I, I set reminders. Basically, I set on all social media, there's like a one hour time limit, which means that once I exceed that one hour in the course of a day, every time I try and hit that app, it will come up on the screen and say, time's up. Um, and, and so it's a, a constant reminder, like don't, don't give any more of your time to, to this app. So setting really firm boundaries is important and also going in always with a, uh, with a heart of charity. So there was, I can give you one story, which I shared recently, um, was this guy who, who hit me up in, the, in my, my DMs and basically it was a, a video that I made uh, about the Holy Father. And it was basically, there was a lot of venom being, and, and Pope Francis was being attacked in, in a way. And basically I just made a video trying to contextualize the statements and give people some spiritual principles by which they should apply it to their own lives. And rather than panic, to be able to take it properly to prayer and look at the lives of the saints. Now, I received a, video, a, a message in response to that, basically um, calling me like a coward, um, you know, that I was, I was weak, that I was like an embarrassment to the church and all of this kind of stuff. And it was late. And, and I was reading that and I remember all of this anger just rising up in me. And it's like, I want to really just like tear this guy a new one and just write something back. Um, and, and all of a sudden I just realized, hold on a second. What am I doing? Like, this is, this is so foolish. I don't know this person. And yet this app has the ability to affect me in this way. Immediately turned off the phone, just put it on the charger, left it alone, and then went back to my room and went to, went to bed. Uh, anyway, the next day I woke up feeling fresh, said my morning prayers, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to respond to that message, but I'm going to respond with all of the charity 
that I can possibly muster. And I just wrote this message back saying, um, you know, bringing St. Catherine of Siena into the, into the story saying that she did call out the, you know, out the Pope, but she didn't do it in a way where she was plastering it on, on um, notice boards. She wrote to him directly. She spoke to him directly. Uh, and I, I, I couch that in the same sense that if you've got issues or you're struggling with the politics in the church, you can speak to your priest. You can speak to your bishop. You can write to your bishop. You can write to the Holy Father if you want to. There's, but there, there's no, nothing to be gained in spitting venom and anger online and perpetuating that. It's only going to be destructive to yours and other people's spiritual lives. And I couch this all within St. Catherine of Siena. And this guy writes back to me, oh, my goodness, I grew up in St. Catherine of Siena Parish. That was where I was baptized. That was where I married my, my wife. Um, like it, it's extraordinary to me that that you've uh, that you've explained it in this way. I just want to say that um, you know you're not you're not the coward I thought you were. Maybe it is I who needs to do the growing. I couldn't believe wow. this message I was receiving in one message. It comes now. This is unheard of on the internet, as far as I'm concerned. Mm. But there was this moment where I, I realized that in a moment of grace, I responded with all the charity I had, all the charity I had access to. And all of a sudden, this guy just had a 180 turn. And I said, thanks be to God that this guy was, um, was open enough to, to, to God's grace and just changed his opinion. And I just thought to myself, look, there, there's a way of going about this which requires charity, um, but there's also a danger to this. Because if I had gone and written that uh, message a few hours before, I would have been confessing it probably the next <laughs> week. And, uh, and also, it may have scandalized that, that guy to hear, um, to hear that. So... Well and, and that would apply to to everyone on on social media and <laughs> not just to you absolutely is um like i know i know when i first started getting into my faith and there's the fire and and you just want everyone else to know what you're going through yeah. and, um, and you can't understand why everyone else isn't falling in love with the faith and with our lord yeah. the same way you have knowing yeah. what you know so you can spit out all this information to them and they still won't fall in love with the yeah. faith and you're thinking, why? I did. Yeah. And so, um, so I got caught up in, you know, social media. Uh, you know, the comments, the, the yeah. comment section is my the favorite place wars, to go yeah, exactly. yeah, ever. But, um, but I remember at such a young age and um, it was honestly, it was a really imprudent thing to, to have done. But was to get into massive arguments on the, you know, on the comment section. Mm. Uh, comment wars, as Absolutely. you said. And, um, and it just fires you up in such a negative way. It gets you angry and all the, all the things that you said. So it does apply to the rest of, and I still see it on on so many posts. Um, it, it's it's not 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 all people are are, are like that. Yeah. Um, you get the few. It tends to be, from my experience, it tends to be more irritable people who comment. Yes. <laughs> um, I mean that that's a that's a particular insight. It's only those people who are uh, who are the most emotional. Or yeah. the most uh, kind of uh, compromised, they'll be the ones. Unless they're the uh, anyone experiencing a strong emotion, whether it be inspiration and it's a positive comment, or irritation, uh, or anger, That's they're me, going yeah. to be the mo ones most likely uh, to comment. So you're kind of getting the the two ends of the spectrum. You're not getting the 95 percent of people in between. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's a great point. Um, yeah. So that's that's just a, a a point of prudence to to anyone yeah. <laughs> watching um, or listening that. Uh, it is something that we actually, it takes a bit of discernment in itself. Like yeah. you, you discern in that particular example, yeah. whether you should reply then or not, yeah. how you should reply and things mm -hmm. like that. So 
Um, sometimes it's necessary. Like recently, I <laughs> it was during the whole COVID time, and I I thought, you know, it might be appropriate just to respond to someone who um, who just asked a genuine question. Yeah. Uh, and gave their their experience at the time um, of receiving the Eucharist and things like that. And I thought it might just be a little bit appropriate to to respond. Um, that's probably the only time in <laughs> in recent memory that I have. But um, th- those times that I, I would say, I would think, you know, just personally that they're okay to, yeah. to comment, but it does take a, a bit of discernment. Mm. Um, the other thing is, and I, I know, uh, Father Ben, you, you might have your own sort of opinions on, on this and things like that. And um, I know that amongst the Catholic world, not, you know, a social media presence like yours might not be their cup of tea. Yeah. Um, but I think an open, like, I think we just need to be so open-minded about, mm. uh, you nailed it when you said it's social media is, is a net negative, mm. but it's the reality is that it's a mission. Yeah. Uh, it's mission a means, field. a mission, field, a mission yes. field. Yeah. Yeah. And a means by which you can, you can actually, uh, interrupt the, the scroll doom yeah. or, or even just introduce someone to to Christ. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's such an such an amazing thing that you do. Mm. Like, it, I think it it would positive positively impact um, people in ways sometimes they might not even know yeah. until later on. And I think that positive impact outweighs anything negative mm. that that anyone could kind of. Th- uh, throw out to you yeah um like it's it's i don't know it's it's so incredible like the the, the ideal is that we wouldn't need to be on social media sure yeah. but the reality is that that there's a whole lot of people that you can get to mm. through social media and and what you're doing is not waiting for them to come up to where you are mm. you're actually going down to not it's not down as in your out, superior out to the peripheries yes yeah yeah you're <laughs> yeah. you're meeting them where they yeah. are and yeah. that's such a powerful thing. And I think it's something that's so necessary mm. for um, for us lay people, mm. for priests especially, um, to, yeah, for, for them to meet us where we are. Yeah. I love, I just want to speak to one or two of your creations. Sure, because, sure. <laughs> um, first one is you see Father Sam's socials and what he's created. And they're fun and they're, you know. But then I, there was one recent one I think you did, you know. Um, you may, as far as liturgy and sacraments are concerned, mm. you're very by the book. Yeah. Which is what I believe all priests should be. Yep. <coughs> that's why the book's there. That's why the book is there. <laughs> yeah. Because Amen. we're universal. And if left to our own devices, we'd stuff it up completely. Yeah. So we have the book. <laughs> um, but... Uh, it was done in the way where you had a character saying, but I'm a fun guy. Like yeah. I'm a, it's like, that's, I think that's what's beautiful about your presence is that you will preach with orthodoxy, but also compassion. Um, and orthodoxy is compassionate and yeah. pastoral anyway, because yeah. yeah. that's what the church presents that's to right. us. But then you'll have some fun with concepts, uh, you know, surrounding things in the church. And that's, I think where people are so confused mm. with what your account yeah, is and sure, what you sure. do. Yeah. Like they don't know where you stand yeah. or where to, how to interpret you. Yeah. And I think yeah. that appeals to the wider viewing population. Yeah. 
And I think that's what's really good about what you do. So there, there was that one thing. We've actually collaborated together. <laughs> oh, yeah. We, we had a fun day. Oh, oh yeah. Our one together. Yeah, yeah that, that, that was fantastic. <laughs> that was that, great fun. That was a great one. And, and um, that, was, that was a hit, actually. We had a lot of fun. The wizard was, was with us all day. Yep. yep. Filming. That was great fun. He one. bought yeah. about 50 kilos worth of... Um, uh, equipment, thinking it's going to be a full stage show production, just in, just in case, just in case, <laughs> and we got a, so we got away with heart, <laughs> you know, yeah. just in case, just in case. But then, what does Father Sam do? Gives you his iPhone and says, <laughs> "Let's go." On this. It was a great, it was a great learning experience. Actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's one of the big things. People want authenticity on social media uh, and those kind of short form yeah. videos. It's um, yeah, there's in that kind of content, super short form, like if it's too produced, people get suspicious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so you, you want to make it as raw yeah. as kind of possible. And then the, the other one that I absolutely loved, it was just a very, very simple one. I think you were, you were standing on some kind of seat and you jump backwards. Oh, yeah. And it looks like you absolutely break your ankle. But it was like a um, – it was one of these trending things where then it became your hand and you pulled out a beautiful note saying go to confession. <laughs> yep. um, just little things like that. Um, and had it been your ankle, yes, yeah. I know the perfect guy that could have helped you with your rehabilitation, <laughs> MJ Podiatry, <laughs> our season sponsor on the show. Smooth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Amen. Um, but look, there's a lot in the pipeline mm. um, that you're doing. You're very creative. We love what you're doing. We love that you collaborated with us because you didn't need to, but it's one of those things where we've got a different format, you've got a different yeah. format. We certainly don't have anywhere near the following that you have. So on that, like, subscribe, comment, and follow. <laughs> um, we've get it, we're getting a lot of great feedback. People watching our YouTube videos, we need you to like those, subscribe to the channel, like the videos, click that notification bell so you know when we're dropping things. We need that to happen because thousands of people are watching us and there's only 500 people subscribed you know on youtube not but good enough not good enough we want to get we want to get to the multitudes we want to feed the thousands not with loaves and fishes but with great content yeah. amen. Okay. amen amen put it in all your group chats that's yes. good that's a group quick way chats, of uh, disseminating please. share yeah. away and be our ambassadors yeah. tell them to like subscribe comment and follow but we're going to put all your details up on this particular you got to do this. All of your nice. socials. Right here. <laughs> yes. All your socials are yeah. going to be right there. You're on TikTok. You're on YouTube. You're on Instagram. Your on average shepherd is on Spotify. Spotify and Apple uh, Apple Podcasts and all the rest of them. Yeah. All the rest of them. And very interestingly. Or Twitch. 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 Now, I've only done a couple of streams on Twitch, but it's uh, something when I have a lot of excess time, which is pretty rarely uh it's, I think it's a bit of a, a bit of a bit to see a, um, to see a Catholic priest playing video games. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's one of those things I might do every now and again, every you know now and else, again. Sorry. You know what else you have that it's not just the funny videos and things and the memes and whatever. I think I was telling you this at purpose. I could be wrong, but the, my, it's actually my favorite thing. And, um, you do live videos of night prayer. Mm, yeah. And it's the most beautiful, like, I remember seeing it once, you went live, <laughs> I got a notification, yeah. Father Sam French went live. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. So I clicked on and it was, uh, it was night prayer and it was like genuinely, it really, it was one of the most peaceful things I've ever, mm. ever listened to. The, the prayers itself are beautiful. Your singing is 
on point. Oh, cheers, <laughs> so, um, so really, it really just like, it, it was so beautiful to listen to. And then mm. I saw it come up again mm. the other night and we were at an event. I can't remember where we were. And I turned to Sarah and I was like, oh, Father Sam's doing <laughs> live night prayer. And I can't yeah. listen to it because yeah. we're at this thing. And I, I went on after to see if you'd say, like, because mm. I think you can you, you post can, the lives yeah, or something. Yeah. Uh, but you had and I was really disappointed. So just to look, <laughs> just I, to let you know that. that was just thanks very much, Anthony. <laughs> I think it's one of these things where um, that that was a, an idea that came to mind of one way of inviting people in a very tangible way yeah. into the prayer life of a priest. Yes. And, and just to be able to, uh, for everyone jumps in the comments and puts in their own prayer intentions and just to include them within my night prayer. Now, I can't do that every night because I'm oftentimes busy, yeah. but it is my goal to do that maybe at least once a week. Uh, and, and to and to um, to set that up just to invite people into prayer uh, and and to really see that side and I think it kind of goes back to what you were saying before Ben about like the whole social media presence people can't work me out and that's kind of by design um, I don't want to be I don't want to be too boxed in lest I lest that limit my capacity to uh, to reach a certain audience mm. and I think one of the one of the big things about it is like I just try to uh, try to be as as creative as possible. I think if people want to know my my opinions on things, they can listen to the podcast and listen to because that's just my homilies, uh, and and hear how hear how I preach. But at the same time, I I fully recognize that for some it's completely cringe. Like I recognize that for some people, they look at it and they're just cringing, thinking, "Oh, this is so unbecoming of a priest." And <laughs> I know they're thinking that because I sometimes think that. <laughs> I watch my own videos back, and I'm like. Oh, should I hit publish on this? Mm. But it's one of those things where I, I do do it prayerfully. It's something that I do very intentionally. And I think if anyone's actually confused about this, just to know that in the meme videos, I am playing a character. It's not, <laughs> it's not, yes. you know, it's kind of, a, it's a, uh, think of like Jim Carrey in the mask. Like when he puts the mask on, he becomes like a super, like over the top version of himself. That's kind of like the priests in my yeah. social media. It's like, there's, there's me in there. But at the same time, it's just an exaggerated for the sake of the um, for that type yeah. of yeah. media, and it's always like a message behind it. Um, and anyway, I, I take I take all criticism seriously. So if people want to say something about that, I'm I'm always happy to hear it. But at the same time, I have got uh, I've I've screenshotted a lot of them, many many video, uh, many comments and direct messages, more than I could have imagined of people saying your videos have brought me back to the faith. And when I've seen those comments, I've thought to myself, what on earth are you talking about? Mm. And I'll often ask them, like, why? And they said, oh, well, uh, it's because, first, it's because I feel encouraged. I like uh, the fact that a priest is in my space uh, that has brought me an immense sense of encouragement. Also, yeah. the joy that you bring to, to promoting the faith. They say, that's given me the confidence to start sharing it with my family and friends. And for others, it's just, it came onto my feed. It reminded me of my childhood faith. And now I'm, I'm, I'm in RCIA or I'm getting baptized yeah. at Easter. And I'm thinking to myself, the, the spiritual fruits are so disproportionate to the effort that I put in that it has to be a gift from God. Yeah. And so in that sense, I'm, you know, I'm happy to accept valid criticisms. Um, but at the same time, it is something that is is bearing tremendous fruit. I need to keep it in my prayer so that it doesn't affect my own my own priestly life, and I uh, and I need to be kind of kept in check by my brother priests in in that regard. And I welcome that, but at the same time, as a 
as a uh, as a ministry in general or as a, a uh, as a way of evangelizing, I think there's a lot of merit and there's a lot of scope, and I'd love to see. Um, more from it. So I loved collabing with you guys. That's all great fun. <laughs> we we loved it and we were so appreciative and we are massive fans of what you do yeah. because Amen. it's a positive message and it's a way that you're getting out to, to others um, and it's it's unique. Mm. Um, so you, you have the Against the Grain family support 100%. Fantastic. And, um, Thank you. We continue to follow you and promote you to our viewers and listeners. But if you'll grant us this little indulgence, sure. we're gonna we're gonna switch gears for a moment. All right. Because You're not gonna tackle me again, are you? I'm not gonna tackle you. <laughs> I'm not gonna tackle you. I promise I won't tackle you. But you were you you're very welcome in this uh, against the grain setup here in this garage because you're a Bulldog supporter. Absolutely. So yeah. <laughs> you're a kindred spirit. We're not only brother priests, but we're also supporters of the same NRL club. Um, and thank God for our faith because we haven't done very well the last few <laughs> yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, I want to – we're, we're just going to transition and talk a little bit of footy. So Let's if do it. So if you'll grant us that. Absolutely. It's over to the spiritual son. We move on to Father Ben's big hit of the week. One day I'll just remember to smoothly go into it, but I. I but always... it wouldn't be you. Yeah, yeah fair. So fair. make the four hundred apologies and get on with it. That's so point. Sorry, savage as they yeah. say. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, so I did forget to smoothly transition <laughs> in to this segment is sponsored by. Our brothers at Totals Tours Clothing. Totals Tours, again, check out their, their links, their socials, everything down below. All right, <laughs> there we go. Um, again, as, as I always say, it's beautiful to, to evangelize through word of mouth and through our actions, um, but also through our clothing. So just check out Totals Tours Clothing, support our Catholic brothers and sisters through um, any of their companies, and, and we do it through Totals Tours. So. Wonderful. Who have you got lined up for me this week? Well, you can you can watch and see. I think this one's pretty. Uh, when I when I chose it, which wasn't long ago to be honest, when I chose it, I thought I can't wait to hear what Father Ben says about this one. <laughs> so all right, let's, let's have, have a look. look. It's an oldie. It's let's an oldie. Have a look. Let's have a Not look. Not too oldie. A few years ago. Let's have a look. Penrith, what big hit? <laughs> what was that? Blink and you'll miss it. That is. Chanel Harris Tavita on Liam Martin. <laughs> now that, that that's two big bodies just colliding. <laughs> Throwing himself at him. He just launched himself. <laughs> Who no, copped the bigger hit? No one knows. Absolutely no regard for human life. <laughs> <laughs> just bang. All right, I'm gonna do the church bell. Okay. Dong. <laughs> Wow. Oh gosh, that was big. I have no idea who got hit more. Like who, who, who caught the bigger hit? Who hit who? Yeah, who hit who? Who hit who? That's actually it. who hit who? Who hit who? Who hit who? <laughs> who hit who? <laughs> <laughs> oh, when oh, they're man. just going front on yeah. and it's just collision, Threw massive. Himself. Anyway, that's the big hit of the week. Brought to you by Totus to us clothing, and Anthony started last week on his preview for the 2024 NRL season. So he's just going to give us a brief summary on his four, next four teams, the significant player movements and where he thinks they'll end up. Yeah. We may be talking to the Oracle here. Fair. I reckon he's going to get his top eight 
perfect by the end of the year. <laughs> I the highly, highly doubt that. The charismatic gift of prophecy. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see. Honestly, as I said last week, my my um, my opinions change by the day, uh, and um, like I. Yeah. Anyway, my my grand final from last, my predicted grand final from last week to this week's changed already. So, <laughs> my goodness, because you just see new new yeah. things and you you watch the way they're training and and sometimes like I'll see videos of the, the way the coaches talk to the the team and things and I'm thinking okay winner mentality loser mentality gotcha middle you know and gotcha. so they just yeah. constantly change anyway. So so what four are we doing this week? So we're doing the the bottom half of last year's top eight. Okay. Right. So that the next four we did the top four last week. Now we're doing the the bottom four of the top eight, I guess. Um, so we're starting off with fifth place, who are the Newcastle Knights. Yes. The Knights uh, had a had a massive finish last season, and um, we'll, we'll get to like more detailed analysis and things of, of teams as the season goes on. Um, but the Knights uh, had a strong finish last season. I don't think they're going to start or finish very strong this season. That's just in my humble opinion, I don't think they'll, they'll continue the momentum they had. They um, they do have like, I mean, they signed Jack Cogger, who I think is probably their biggest signing. Where he fits though, I don't know because the halves, they had such a good halves pairing at the back end of last year, Tyson Gamble and Jackson Hastings. They have Phoenix Crossland and Jaden Braley, who are the, the hookers. Whether you drop Braley or Phoenix Crossland and bring Cogger in as a utility, I don't know. But mm. there's just so many options. Who knows where they go? When there are that many options and you know that they've had some mild success with those options, mm. you stick with that formula, surely, just surely. to begin with and let them build. Yeah, but Cogger. Cogger. Yeah, look, Cogger did what he needed to do at Penrith. He came yeah. off the bench. He settled the team. That might be... W- what they want or envision for him this season to yeah. settle the team when yeah. the teams start fatiguing throughout the game. But they'll have to drop a solid player to, to yeah. bring him in. So anyway, but they have lost a few players. So um, Lachlan Fitzgibbon, I don't know why they let him go. He's a solid back rower. He, he hits holes almost as good as any other back rower. Um, I know he was like in and out of the team, but whatever. I still think he was a solid player. Um, Kurt Mann's gone. He was a good utility as well. Farmanu Brown, I don't know why the Bulldogs let go of him. And now I do because they bought about 16 utilities, but <laughs> he was a solid utility utility player there as well. Um, Dominic Young is the massive, massive loss, the winger. So I don't think he has that that much. I don't think many wingers have that much impact on a on a game, really, like you, generally speaking. But he was he's probably the best finisher in the game. So yeah. they've lost him anyway. Newcastle, I just don't think that they, they'll carry in. They're, I think that they're just inconsistent. Maybe I'm being a bit harsh, but They'll be whatever. top eight, you think? No, I don't think so. Okay. Um, I think, I actually think they'll be falling quite low. <laughs> at least today I do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I've got them at 14th. Yeah. Oh, wow. Considerable drop. Considerable drop only because I think that so many teams are going to be doing so much better. Yeah. So I don't think they'll be mm. particularly be doing bad okay. necessarily, even after I slammed them basically yeah. just now. Yeah. <laughs> but it's that I think many yeah. teams will be doing a lot better. Well, time will tell. So that's we shall see. At 14th. Yes. And I didn't even mention Kalen Ponga, but I mean, he'll do well when he plays. How much he plays is 
is a question. Okay. Anyway, he's in, a bit injury prone. The phone's, uh, anyway, it'll work. Next one, we have the Cronulla Sharks, who I have, I have a bit of a soft spot for a few teams. The Sharks are one of them. Uh, I, I don't know about the Sharks. I moved them today while I was reviewing my, <laughs> my ladder. I had them in, um, I think I had them in sixth, but I've changed them to eighth now. So just scraping through the top eight. They're one of the ones that, so my eighth, maybe my eighth, ninth and 10th place, I'm like, they're really tough. Mm. But anyway, I'm, I'm keeping Sharks at eighth. Um, they've got Billy Burns from the Dragons, who's a solid, I think he'll just be like a backup second rower. Could make the bench, I'm not sure. They also signed Michael Jabrail from... Uh, the Bulldogs. Jabrail. Jabrail. Lebanese. Who everyone says Gabriel. It burns my life. It's Jabrail. Oh. I mean, I'm pretty sure it's Jabrail. I, imagine he's Maybe just saying just Gabriel. <laughs> Maybe we're just being lebs and yeah, everything right. into lebs. Poor oh, Gabriel. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's, I mean, I'm pretty sure it's Jabrail. But um, yeah, he's uh, hopefully a future Lebanon international. He's actually, I was checking today. He's actually in their top 30. I thought he would have been development. Okay. But he's in their top 30. And he's looking likely to put you know, potentially make a, an appearance, you know, debut this year. So he's, he's good. They've lost Wade Graham, which is massive. Like that's such a big loss because he's, like, he's retired. Mm. Um, that's such a massive loss. I don't, if they don't make the eight, I think a lot of the reason will be a lack of leadership and just his skill okay. there. Okay. But I, I think they'll be okay. I think they'll make the top eight. That's I just think, my little thing on the show. I think their half will have a massive year. What's his name again? Nico Hines. Nico Hines. Oh, yeah. I think this is his year, I think. He cops a, little, a lot of unnecessary criticism, I think. Mm, mm. I think he just does his job well. So, uh, this and may be the year of Nico Hines. Yeah, I hope so. Mm. I hope so. And um, we'll see anyway. We'll they see. lost Matt Moylan and things, but I don't think yeah. he was that, that massive either. I think when you've got Finucane and McKinnon still there, you've got plenty of experience uh, lead, leading the way. Yeah, true. Actually, yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. Mm. Yeah, I think I like the Sharks. Britton Nakora is one of the best second rollers in the game. His his whole hitting is, oh, it's lovely. I'm I'm still I shouldn't be holding on to things, but I loved Fanukan when he was at the Dogs. Yeah, I know. I just love workhorses. Yeah, yeah. Why is it just get in and work? And then we just and then we as we do with our best players, we let him go. <laughs> if Melbourne Storm want a player, this is this is. This is like the biggest hint any team can get. If Melbourne Storm are interested in your player, keep them. That's yeah. Like yeah. throw everything at him. <laughs> anyway, we sold him to the Storm. He's a great player. So That's you've got the point. Sharks finishing eighth. Eighth. Okay. Now I have been looking forward to this for a little bit now. The Sydney Roosters. <laughs> now we've mentioned that we do, uh, we, you know, our busy lives keep us from replying and things like that to, to people, but, but we do keep up with the comments and the, mm. you know, any DMs that we get and things, and uh, and and we're honest when we say that. So there, there's a, there's a person on our um, on our last episode who commented, and they commented on a previous episode as well. Now every time I, when it comes to the roosters, like I I I will not shy away from saying that I can't stand the roosters, <laughs> can't stand them. And uh, every time I speak bad about the roosters, this person. <laughs> this person has let us know that they're <laughs> not so happy about it, <laughs> yeah, and um, and you know what? Like 
I'm sorry, but I just can't stand the roosters. <laughs> but, <laughs> but so I think we Anthony, got it. Don't <laughs> respond if you're tired. That's yes. right. That's right. Or it's late. Or it's late. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's and remember, right. comments right. are only from each end of the. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. I know. Okay. I know. But, but I I don't think I'm an unfair um, judge of a team. I think I'm pretty unbiased when it comes to it. And I. To this person who is particularly affected by my comments on the Roosters, I think you will like what I have to say about the Roosters this this time this time round. So um, I hope you I hope you hear this, and I hope I can actually put a smile on your face this time. The Roosters, I honestly think, if anyone is if any team is really pushing for the top four that I don't have in my predicted top four, it's the Roosters. And the reason I said my grand final has changed, prediction has changed, is because. I think the Roosters are actually potential grand finalists. Wow, the wow. tricolours in another grand final. So I've got Broncos Roosters grand final okay. so far. Okay. <laughs> That's my predicted grand final. They've got Spencer Lenu, Lenu, however you say it. Spencer, he's come in. Um, and Dominic Young, they're the two main signings. Mm, good signings. Massive signings, massive. And, and I can't tell you that the plethora of talent that's in this team is ridiculous. Like, it's incredible. Yeah. And they've let go. Like, there are so there's there's a list of <laughs> it's about this thick on my phone of players they've let go, and none of them, in my opinion, are that that crucial to the team. Mm. Um, there there are some names in there like Corey Allen, Fletcher Baker, Jake Turpin, Jackson Paolo, Matt Lodge, like that Drew Hutchison. All these players they've let go who are names people know, mm. but. Mm. They don't affect the team that greatly. Yeah. Their team is so solid. It, I, I would, in in future episodes, I will probably. Yeah. Like you can just go through all the players, yeah. and just go. This guy's a talent. This guy's a talent. This guy's a talent. In round one, I said this last week, which is the thing that I think upset <laughs> that person is that I think in round one when they play Broncos in Vegas, I think they might get caught up in the showmanship. Okay. I don't think that'll affect this. I, I think they'll still have a great season, potential premiers. But, um, but yeah, I, I think because they have such young players like, like Sam Walker, I think, is one of the players that might get caught up in the showmanship. Spencer, then you, I love Spencer. Like, I think he's a top, top player. Yeah. But I think he, his emotion can probably take over. In that. Yeah. Anyway, but that's round one. But okay. um, I have them coming fifth at the moment, mm-hmm. but pushing really for that top four spot. But potentially top four and possibly grand final. And possibly grand final. Okay, That's my prediction. Go. There you go. And the last one, I'll I'll be very quick on this team, is um, is the the Canberra Raiders. So, they pushed for the they they just scraped through the top eight last year. They let go of Jack Wyden, their five eight, their star player. And um, they haven't replaced him, which I think is so incredibly foolish. If I can be that. <laughs> If I can be that, that um, do they have anyone critical? coming through? They, this they... is this is the they let go of Jack Wyden and they let go of one, two, two of their backup halves. Matt Frawley, they've let go, and um, oh, his name's skipping my mind now, and it should be right in front of me. Brad Schneider, mm. they let go to the Panthers, and they just have. Like unless there's a young kid who comes up, have they named anyone in the halves this year? Do not we know? yet. Not okay. yet. No. The 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 predicted lineup had Kyo Weeks, who they signed from the from the Sea Eagles from Manly. Mm. But like, 
you've just let go of Jack Wyden. Why they haven't, why they, why they didn't go for Aiden Caesar, for example, like a player like well, he's that. He's at the Tigers now. Who, who the Tigers signed, who I think is such a brilliant signing. Mm. Or even like just to get an, an experienced head so that they can, they can really mentor the younger players. Anyway, that that's so I, I have them dropping. Ricky a Ricky lot. Stewart might have some kind of wild card that no one knows about. I hope so because the Raiders yeah. are one of the teams, <laughs> the other teams I have a soft spot for. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't think I don't I don't from what I can see, they don't. And I've got them finishing second last, so in sixteenth. Okay, I think that's a big drop. All right, so that's Anthony's review of the twenty twenty three top eight. Okay, and we're that's, right. that's done, and we're gonna do. The next four, so from um, we're going to go from ninth place to ninth to twelfth, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. We're doing that next week. That's <laughs> yep. the way numbers go, pretty much. Yeah. Oh my gosh, very good. Man. Most <laughs> of the time, most <laughs> of the time. Yeah. I yeah. Maths, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, very good, very good. So we're going to do that. Um, it's going to. I'm I'm actually pumped for the NRL season. Like me too. I miss rugby league. Yeah, I want to start same. watching games again. Same. So. And the unpredictability um, is so fun. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's fantastic. I think the salary so cap really brings that. It'll be exciting, those first couple of opening round games in Vegas. Yeah, trials have would have started by the time this episode has come out. Yep, yep. So, so we're, we're going exciting. well. And look, we're, we want – there's so much to cover. We're going to bring the show to an end now because I think we've been going for a decent amount of time and mm. it's just been so fulfilling and nourishing. Yeah. Um, but I just want to make a couple of – Brief announcements um, in Sydney, um, and these there will be more details to follow. On the 26th, 27th of April, there will be the Camino of St. Joseph, which is an overnight walking pilgrimage for men in honour of St. Joseph. So we might even pop that up on your di diocesan yeah, for sure. um, news. But men of all ages, fathers and sons, whatever you'd like to do, to go walking overnight and to visit several churches um spiritually uplifting physically demanding we'll have more details to follow there'll be a flyer on the screen as i'm giving this announcement but save the date the night the evening of the 26th into the 27th of april the camino of saint joseph an overnight walking pilgrimage for men in honor of saint joseph before father sam we get you to sign our against the grain canvas um I just wanted to bring to people's minds that we are praying for everyone at home watching and listening as you've begun Lent. Lent is such a beautiful time of stripping back a few of the things by way of fasting or abstinence that are stopping us from growing in relationship with God. If you really take that seriously over these 40 days, you will see a benefit by the time we get to Easter. And I've heard stories, this has affected myself as well, of people continuing those good practices even after Easter. Yeah. So a lot of the disciplines that we can learn in Lent, because we want to, not because we have to, mm -hmm. we want to grow in relationship with Jesus each and every day. And sometimes there are things that get in the way mm -hmm. of that relationship growing. So we really want to encourage everyone at home, fight the good fight, stick to your disciplines, fast, abstain, go to confession. Absolutely. As I said last week, read scriptures with the family and pray together as a family mm. and really make this the Lent where you bring your family back into a greater relationship with God by way of scriptures, the sacraments, confession, most importantly, Mass. Go back to Mass, okay? 
I love the, the title of your homily this Sunday just passed. Yeah. Zoom masses are dead, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're Zoom not, masses are the worst. They're not yeah. tangible. Yeah. They are the yeah. worst. They ha- they play their part for people that are housebound. Yeah. So I'm not dumping on Zoom masses yeah. for that. But really, if you have the ability to go back to mass, go back to mass. Absolutely. Okay. Um, we want to wish you all the best this Lent. We're going to see you next week. Before we do our final prayer, Father Sam, thank you so much for the generosity of your time this day. Everything you've shared with us from your vocation story to priesthood, the intimacy of your family prayer life, um, everything you've gone through, your advice as a vocations director into the glory and beauty of the priesthood and into your social medias. Thank you for all of that. I know our people at home are going to be watching, listening. And this will be one of those episodes that people can refer back to. Young people discerning their vocations. They're going to hear that advice you've given. So thank you for your wisdom today. Thank you for your generosity. And be assured of the Against the Grain family's prayers for you as you continue your very important ministry, first and foremost as a priest, but then all the other things that you embark on online and all that kind of stuff, you're doing good work. Thanks very much, Father Ben. Thank you very much, Anthony. Thanks for having me on here. Although I don't know much about football, I absolutely love what you're doing. I love that you're you're getting into this space and, and, and evangelizing in the way that you are. It's been my absolute pleasure and privilege to be on the show with you guys today. God bless you, mate. Thank Thanks you for being so with much. us. Thank you. We'll get you to sign that canvas. Okay. Maybe a motivational saying. Yep. I've got um, one in the bank. He's got one in the bank or even a, a scripture verse. Anthony will lift up that canvas for you. We'll throw, just throw that on the seat there, Anth. Yep. Very good. I usually commentate while this is happening because they're away from their microphones. Okay, no worries. So, so, Father Sam, any space you'd like, wherever you'd like it. That is one impressive signature. Father Samuel French. You know what always impressed me about Father Sam? He has his own seal that he would that he would um, seal envelopes with and letters with, but he's always been one of those guys that has amazing handwriting. Father Samuel French, and the message is go to confession. What a beautiful way! What a beautiful way to remind people of God's love and mercy, especially this time of Lent, where we as Catholics are encouraged to confess our sins once a year. And it's, this is a great season to do it in. Perfect opportunity. So it's a great opportunity. If you don't know how, just ask your priest. Your priest will walk you through the process of confession. And it is really a beautiful and gentle experience. And why wouldn't it be gentle when you've got the loving arms of the Father in Absolutely. heaven saying, I forgive. Amen. So we are going to finish now with prayer and a final blessing. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of this episode for the gift of Father Sam and his many talents. May they always be used for your glory. We pray for the, the needs, the spiritual needs of all of our listeners and viewers at home. Keep them safe this Lent. May they strip back whatever it is that is stopping them from growing in relationship with you this Lent. And may they grow closer and closer to you as they continue on in their vocations. The Lord be with you. And And with your spirit. And may Almighty God bless you all, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Remember our Lord Jesus Christ says you are the salt of the earth. 
What good is salt if it loses its taste? So stay salty. <laughs> and don't be afraid to go against the grain. God <laughs> Thanks bless. For being with us. Thanks, Thanks very fellas. much. Thanks, fellas. Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh.